Welcome back to the Out of the Box Podcast. We have returned. It is officially May, which means the regular season is winding down. The selection show is not far away. The NCAA tournament is just on the horizon. It is the best time of the year in college softball. I'm Gray Robertson. Tom, you're sitting next to me here in the studio. Can you believe it? It, It's crazy how quickly it goes by. Uh, But at the same time, as we talked about with Patrick Murphy this past weekend, you you could tell me that Clearwater was five years ago or or it was last weekend, and I'd believe you either way. So it's it's weird how it is a grind. There are times where you're just trying to get through it, but other times it's like, man, we just got started. Now it's about to wrap up. I mean, you could tell me we had dinner at the Columbia last night, and I'd say, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember those. That salad was amazing. That was great. The yes. bacon wrap scallop. Yes, yes, absolutely. But alas, here we are with one final series before the SEC tournament and then the selection show. There's a lot that's going to be coming up, obviously, on this podcast in the next few weeks. I know I am ferociously looking forward to our selection show reaction pod, which is always a highlight for me every year. And as we'll get to later on in the show, I feel like this is as murky an RPI picture as we've ever seen, which in turn might lead to some confusing selections by the committee once we start bracketing. Our our selection show react pod always spawns numerous new catchphrases and just overall uh, bewilderment. And I think that's going to be something that's going to happen again this year, Uh, because like you said, a lot of teams have really good RPIs, but don't have really good resumes. Right. Uh, and then some teams have really good resumes, but their RPI might not be as high. So it, it we'll see how much the committee takes that into account. The fact that it is a committee that's supposed to use an eye test every once in a while, if they'll do that. Uh, well, they use it more because right. of how weird the RPI is. Who's to say? Who's to say? So we'll find out. Yes. And of course, that's coming up later on in the show. Mm-hmm. Let, let's start, of course, with our trip around the bases. We will begin at the plate and talk about Alabama winning a series against LSU. What a weekend it was. Bow down. The queen was doing her thing in the circle. Yes. The Montana Faust says, I refuse to lose a game this weekend. I don't know what the rest of you guys are doing, but I ain't losing. (laughs) Not me. No, because they're not scoring. And as we've talked about numerous times, Alabama remains undefeated when the opponent scores zero. That is the analysis that people look for here on the Out of the Box podcast. After that, we'll advance to first. The SEC is a little bit more open, I guess, because Arkansas decided to just win a series against Tennessee and elsewhere things are starting to shape up a bit. I know I would be devastated if Tennessee somehow did not win the SEC regular season. I I would, I wouldn't know how to react. Way to be unbiased. (laughs) Of course, we'll have FGCL player of the week. I never said I was unbiased. (laughs) Then we'll steal second. Originally it was supposed to be with Caleb Rowe and Madison Shipman, but as happens occasionally life popped up for Caleb Rowe. So she wasn't able to hop on with us. So that led to a 35 minute, conversation with Madison Shipman in which for the last eight or nine minutes we really dive deep into the obstruction rule mm. and call some some calls that we saw over the weekend very very good chat with our friend Madison Shipman it was a lot of fun and as as we've talked about pulling back the curtain a little bit uh recorded out of order so we actually as we're recording this we talked to Madison yesterday 
so we didn't know about the result of the Arkansas Tennessee game as of yet when we talked to her about uh, everything going on. But yeah, I thought it was a really good conversation overall and, and a really good discussion uh, about, you know, the state of some of those rules that are still somewhat ambiguous in the world of college softball. Rounding third is bracketology. Mm. Got it all figured out, have we? No. This is I, this is the most uneasy I've ever felt because the RPI is telling me one thing that my eyes are saying the opposite of. Yeah. And I, I just I don't know what's going to be right. So anyway, that'll mm. be fun. Yes. Enjoy that. And then finally, we'll head home with just the longest pick list you've ever seen because mm. Tom has opened up a substantial margin. Oh, wow. So as the writer of the rundown, mm. I'm rigging it a bit or making it worse. We'll see. Got the Kentucky Derby in there. Is that this weekend? It is. Okay, we'll add that. Add it in. Add it in. All right. With the series that will decide the Patriot League, all that fun stuff. I assume Lehigh will win it. Well, <laughs> stay tuned. All right. And uh, of course, off the wall. At the very of end. course. Because why would we ever have a weekend without people being idiots? Especially, weirdly, multiple people named Karen. We won! We did. Again, I, I, as we'll hear in the drop, stop complaining when we win. Impossible. Impossible. The stop complaining when we win <laughs> challenge has been failed many times. <laughs> we begin at the plate. LSU series. Alabama wins the first one 4 nothing. Loses the second one. LSU wins it 6-1. The third game goes to the Tide. Two nothing. As usual, we'll break it all down, the good and the bad. We start with the good. Her name is Montana Fouts. Have you heard of her? LSU certainly has. 14 innings, 7 hits, no runs, 2 walks, and 15 strikeouts. As of this recording, your co-SEC Pitcher of the Week, her fourth time being honored as the best pitcher of the week in the SEC this season. And I think we're up to 14 or 15 in her career. I'd have to read the press drop again from SID extraordinaire Nathan Sheehan. Just as good as Montana Fouts has ever looked in her career. And I mean that genuinely. I'm including the perfect game. I'm including everything that we saw her freshman year. I think these last three weeks, four weeks, have been the best of Montana in five years. And yeah, I think that's what makes it the most impressive is the fact that she's doing it now against teams that have seen her for five years. She's not doing it against a team that maybe have only seen her on on TV or, you know, just knows of them, of her. Uh, she's facing teams sometimes for the sixth, seventh, eighth time in her career and is as good, if not better than she was the first time um, and, you know, doing it in different ways. You know, there are times where she's just striking everybody out, and there are times where she's letting the defense work for her. There's people on base, people not on base, getting out of jams, doing it some of the uh, most, you know, the scariest hitters that she, you can face and, you know, keeping them off balance and just doing the work and not always getting the most uh, offensive help behind her. Uh, but, you know, if again, if the opponent scores zero, you only have to score one. And that's right. That's how Alabama's doing it. I mean, it's so impressive to watch her work, and because she has so many tools, if something isn't working, then she's able to use everything else. And Madison Shipman will talk later about how her drop on Sunday against LSU wasn't 
a huge factor. And we've seen that sometimes be the pitch that isn't super reliable for her. I even think of the Auburn series. She didn't really have that working. Yeah. So she works rise and she works curve and she mixes speeds. And not, I'm not talking true 53 mile per hour changeup, but there is a pretty big difference between 64 and 69.70 or 65 and 71. That is an adjustment that a hitter has to make. So just to watch her be able to use everything and still, I think, have a little bit more to go to reach Montana's A game right. is really, really wild and I think should be a very positive sign for Alabama fans going up because I still think she can pitch a little bit better. Yeah. Again, I think she's pitching the best of her career and she didn't have a pitch working for her on Sunday. That's yeah. crazy. But what if everything was working? My gosh. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, and I think we've also seen here in the last month or so, uh, her and Lassick Man really get on the on the same page. Absolutely. And, you know, they it took it took a little bit for everyone to kind of figure each other out to where what is going to be the best way for us to work together uh, to get these uh, get these big wins. And I think that's maybe explains a little bit of uh, some of the somewhat by again by her standards quote unquote struggles that she might have had early on in the year. But once everybody got kind of got on the same page, it has been really really impressive to watch. The defense in the Montana games, chef's kiss. Mm. Great, great plays in the outfield, the infield. I keep replaying Callie Hevlin's get on the Danica Coffee chopper up the middle yeah. in game three. Goodness gracious. I mean, just really, really good. And when you've got Montana playing the well, let the defense back you up a little bit kind of game and kind of plan. When they do that, it's been spectacular. And we saw that on Friday and Sunday. Yeah, we saw the best that this defense can be. I think when we saw maybe outside of Marley Giles being the center fielder, which, I mean, she didn't do anything poorly. Yeah, but, and we'll talk about that later. Yeah, uh, but, you know, outside of that, you know, the best possible defense that Alabama could put out there, and uh, that they made certainly all the plays there in those two wins. Offensively, what a weird weekend. So last week, I think it was last week, we talked about how the can't hit complaints are inaccurate. People should be complaining about not scoring. Right. This week, Alabama really didn't hit. No. But scored enough to win the series. Yeah. Help. Uh, can't. It was it was weird. You know, the it's like every it, we went into Bizarro World offensively. Uh the issue for Alabama coming into that last weekend was you were getting a bunch of hits, but you weren't getting a bunch of runs. Last weekend, you got seven overall runs on just 12 hits. Right. LSU got six runs on 17 hits. Yeah. What is, why? Well, I mean, did we know, go Freaky Friday? What happened? It was weird. And it was weird because, you know, you know, Friday and Saturday, the everything that went right for Alabama on Friday went right for LSU on Sunday. I mean, excuse me, on Saturday. And, you know, vice versa. It was like yeah. a weird Black Mirror episode. <laughs> New very, season coming out this summer. Very weird. Uh, so that's, that's the way that the, the sport is sometimes. And that's why, you know, when you look at it, the just the general complaint of can't hit is not correct. It's that you got to get the hits at the right time. Or, you know, or hit it over the fence every once in a while. And Alabama was able to do that a couple times this weekend, too. Yeah, I want to make sure that we specifically pinpoint a couple people here as we look at the stat sheet Larissa Pruitt, down in the bottom of the order, two for five on the weekend with a couple runs scored, two walks, a 571 OBP. That is phenomenal. 
yeah. for down in the lineup in a conference series. And if you get one or two people that have something similar like that every weekend, you know the top half is going to get something at some point. And when they're stepping up into the box with people already on base, that's just even more beneficial for the offense. Yeah, and we saw that on Sunday. The only walk that LSU issued the entire game was to Larissa Pruitt, and she ended up being knocked in by Ashley Prangy. So, I mean, that's, you know, you don't have to necessarily get a hit to get on base, but when you get on base, hits need to come behind them to get them in. Ashley Prangy returns in a big old way. Mm -hmm. Just two for eight in the series, but had both RBIs on Sunday, had the home run that kind of set the tone, drew a walk, 333 OBP. I'll live with that for a series. But more importantly, just that steadiness, at the top half of the order, over at third base on the defensive side, much needed for Alabama this weekend. And I did not see any signs of being hobbled, being slowed. She ran out everything when she grounded out in, in situations like that. So I don't think it's a concern going forward, but something we'll continue to monitor just in case. Yeah, but I, it was really, really vital that Ashley Prangy come back and be Ashley Prangy at the top of this order for Alabama to be able to uh, do things moving forward. Can't overstate her not being in the lineup for the two Auburn losses. Yeah. I think I think that I think this weekend kind of proved that, you know, injuries are part of the game. I'm not saying that, you know, that's that's the way it goes sometimes. But, you know, if Ashley Prangy is available for those two games, might have gone differently. To the bad we go. Mm. And really let's just talk about Saturday because when things go wrong, I've got it in italics here on the rundown. They go wrong. Yeah. Like that was... everything that can possibly be bad yeah. happened on Saturday in all three phases, pitching, defense, offense, a couple small bright spots that Alex Salter, good in relief, but Jayla Torrance was fine. Uh, not the best day for Lauren Esman at the plate or in the circle for sure. Yeah. Allie Shipman committed an error, which if we had her sitting next to us right now, she would say she never should have thrown that ball, period. Yeah. And you had some weird, wonky double plays. The only Alabama official at bat with a runner in scoring position was wiped out after Jenna Johnson hit into just the strangest and frankly most unlucky double play an offense can hit into. Yeah. I mean, for lack of a better phrase, just one of them days where yeah. absolutely nothing was working. And But that's one of the things when you're looking at Alabama in the games when Montana Fouts does not pitch. Should we call those September games since it's with earth wind and fire uh, uh, we could. Uh, I i'll know. think about it we're thinking of puns here anyway keep going i'll put it in the hopper it's not just about the pitchers everybody has to has to play a clean game when you don't have montana fouts in the circle and nobody played a clean game on saturday against lsu you know the offense didn't produce uh defense there were two errors in the in the game but you know Jenna Johnson misplayed a ball out in left field. There were a couple others that were miscommunications. not yeah, miscommunications. Uh, they were not necessarily charged errors, but they were miscues defensively. And then, you know, you got you to put up some runs. Uh, yeah, like I said, Lauren Esman didn't have a great game starting, but Salter and Torrance came in and kind of held LSU somewhat in check afterwards. They, they, I think, had two runs against the relievers. You, you just know you're going to have to score some runs in those games. Right. Uh, when the search went and fire pitching, just didn't do it. So it, it it was one of those situations where you didn't play well in any of the three phases. And 
when you do that against a good team like LSU, like Patrick Murphy said in our pregame interview, you're going to get your butt kicked, and that's basically what happened. Yeah, and I'm not sure how many more times we're going to see full-on non-Montana games. There is an interesting SEC tournament conversation to have, and we might have that depending on how bracketology looks in a few weeks. But at some point, when you've got the non-Montanas in the circle, you've just You've just got to be able to produce. I mean, I saw a lot of people talking about how the team looks different when Montana's not pitching. And I think it boils down to when there's a mistake, when earth, wind, and fire are in the circle, it's almost like everybody resigns to the fact that people are going to score after that mistake because you don't have a pitcher who can pitch her way out of it. As good as Lauren and Jayla and Alex Alter have been at times this year, none of them are strikeout pitchers. So they can't just mow down three people in a row after a single and an error put runners on second and third with nobody out. Right. So at some point, you've just got to get over that mentality Mm -hmm. and try and play well every single game and don't get bogged down by the mistakes, especially in these earth, wind, and fire games. Yeah, and but that's been an issue we've talked about all year because it's not necessarily the number of errors that, that Alabama's made defensively. It's that things have snowballed after those errors. Right. Uh, so, yeah, it's a mentality you got to have no, ma- no matter who's pitching, but especially when it's not Montana Fouts, that uh, just because there's a mistake, because mistakes are going to happen, make that be the only mistake of the inning and, and just get out of it. So now we look ahead and we hit the road. Tom, I've got a box on that counter right through that door mm-hmm. that is addressed to our dear friend Finley Traxel. Oh. The the puppy that we want to see this weekend when the tide goes to Oxford to take on Ole Miss. We yeah. might also see Juice. Who's sure. to say? If we don't see Finley, it will be as disappointing, if not more, than when Big Red just shunned us. A thousand time. percent more yeah. because it was promised to us. <laughs> Like, right. more or less, we were guaranteed yes. a Finley sighting. So unless Finley is ill or something, yeah. I firmly expect to see our our puppy power friend, <laughs> I would think. Sure. Friday, 6 o'clock Central Time. Saturday, 1 o'clock Central Time. Sunday, 1 o'clock Central Time. Alabama at Ole Miss. Now we get to actually have a good old lineup discussion because I think there's actually a debate to be had here. Mm-hmm. We saw Patrick Murphy put Marley Giles in center field. I believe you received the text that I sent a month ago when I went to practice and I saw Marley working with the outfielders. And I said, what? Mm, yeah. when, did, when did this happen? Did, right. Have I missed something? And I was really impressed by what I saw. Her reads were good. I didn't see a big drop off between her and you know some of the other outfielders out there. Obviously, when you've got a catcher, you know, you've got a good arm. And I watched Marley Giles throw some ropes, yeah. some frozen ropes. I, I understand it. I also, you know acknowledge that Patrick Murphy said she did some outfield work in high school. So this isn't totally out of the blue. Yeah, played seven travel ball. Yeah. yeah. So they, not a huge, not a huge step out because not calling Marley Giles, Kayla Kowalik. We'll see. Hopefully that would be, that would be awesome. tremendous. Especially but, if she is the Twitter presence. Of right. Kayla Kowalik as well. Uh, but you know, her freshman, sophomore year, Kayla Kowalik, when she wasn't catching, she was playing center field. So right. it's, this isn't some, you know, something that's totally out of left field situation. The question is, do we keep doing it? Do we see Alabama continue with that? Clearly, what Patrick Murphy wants is that power bat in the lineup. Marley had shown good growth, some good at-bats, even though the strikeouts are probably a little bit higher than everybody would have wanted. Yeah, They weren't bad strikeouts. Oftentimes, they were on 3-2 counts. They were after she had worked at-bats. 
we had seen Kristen White, who I still think has all the potential in the world, just not be able to execute when she had gotten starts in SEC play. So to me, this is the biggest debate going into the weekend. Do you keep Marley Giles at center? Do you keep working with this and see what happens? Or she got the one hit, but also struck out three times. Let's try something else. I think you could argue both sides. Yeah, because we, how many other different things you could do? You could have Kristen White go back out to center field, play the entire time there, and hope that she's able to uh, execute and, and do some better things at the bottom of the order. Jordan Siemens is another possibility out in the outfield, but we haven't really seen many at-bats for her in the last month or so. Uh, Same with Cat Grill. Yeah. Cat- really, since Mississippi State, we haven't seen much of Cat at all. Right. Uh, but the, a lot of that is maybe putting – although Jordan can play you – know, can play center field, but if you do cat grill, you probably put her in right and move Larissa over to center. Um, so I mean, there, there's still a lot of different ways you can go. You can still do it uh, based on matchups. Would love to be able to rely a little bit more on Faith Hensley also in that situation, but uh, we've just seen, I think, too many subpar at-bats from her in those situations at the bottom of the order. So it, it's a it's a struggle to decide. Uh, I understand the situ- why you want to put Marley Giles there because I think she has – maybe the most potential of anyone of having the power at the right. you know, in, in the six, seven, eight hole in that area. And not just the power, but I think the RBI part of it all. Right. You know, more often than not, when everybody else that we've mentioned put a ball in play, it's a slap or something right. that's it's, more designed to get on base as opposed to drive people in. Right. So then are they going to be able to turn that lineup over to have the RBI, RBI producers at the top to be able to do it? So it's... I don't know if I've answered any of the questions. I it's, haven't it's, either. Yeah. So we're just sitting here, right? Thinking out loud, yeah. if you will. Indeed. I think I would. I think I would stick with Marley for one more week and see what happens. And if the Ole Miss weekend, say games one and two, are just not it, and you don't see more quality at bats, then we can have that discussion on the air going on to the Sunday broadcast. But I think I saw enough quality in Marley's at-bats and for it to be her who finally broke the risp curse. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I, I think you give her another weekend of doing it at center. And I think we continue to see the rotation of late in the game. Kristen moved back in for the defense and for the speed, but I didn't see any red flags defensively mm. for Marley. No, uh, of course the very first hit of the game for LSU on Friday could have been a ball that maybe Kristen White gets to, maybe makes a die for it and catches it. Yeah, other Marley didn't have any poor plays out there, but you do take off a little bit of the playmaking ability of somebody like Kristen White early on in the games before you make that defensive change. Pitching rotation, Fouts, blank Fouts. Yes, I, seems to be. Yeah, I mean, again, Lauren Espen starting, totally get it. Strategically makes a lot of sense. You had seven of nine lefty batters in the LSU lineup that day. Yeah. Sure, I get it. It didn't work. That's no. fine. Alex Alter is probably starting game two against Ole Miss, I would think. I feel like at the very least she's earned that. Yeah. And if it doesn't work out there, then we bring in Jayla, bring in Lauren, we figure it out. But the rest of the team's got to back up whoever's in the circle on Saturday. Right. I'm almost more concerned with the other two phases on those Tom Montana games. Yeah. The, the other thing with a with the pitching rotation would be. I think you'd look at the weather a little bit. All three days, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, have a 50% chance of rain throughout the day. Awesome. Yeah. So if there is a possibility of games being moved or double headers, uh, that might change what games you pitch Montana Fouts in. 
as I look at it for Friday, we're expecting rain earlier in the day, so we should be good for the nighttime. Saturday, rain starts at 3, so we might see a little move up in Saturday's game. TBD, 30% chance. And again, we're looking at this five days out, so things could always change. Sunday looks clear now, so that's good, because I had looked at the same thing Hmm. you did. So we'll see. We Maybe we do a Sunday doubleheader? I don't know. We'll see. Depends. Yeah. Schedule dependent. I believe we're busing both there and back, correct? Correct. Okay, so I don't, we won't have a drop. It'll be kind of like the South Carolina situation where there is a general can't start a, t- a game after a certain time situation, but I don't think there'll be a drop dead. Yeah, we so, should be fine. Yeah, I think we'll be all right. But just something to keep in mind. Yeah. Be weather aware. Respect the polygon, <laughs> sure. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera. Right, yes. Yes. Okay. I feel good. I feel very good about where this team is right now. I think that it's a better situation than maybe some other teams that we've talked about in this pod oh, that yeah. we talked about off the air, where I don't see a fix. I don't see an end in sight to the struggles. I think with Alabama, everything that has gone wrong at times has felt and been fixable. We have seen fixes for it. And I would rather be in that position than the alternative. And I think in some ways too, you just kind of know what you have and mm-hmm. you, you know, this, you have to plan for it when you get to that point, you're, you're playing out the schedule, you know, the regular season schedule as is. Yeah. Uh, but that is when you get into postseason plays, when you'll really kind of see trying to, which every team is doing in one way or the other, maximize your strengths mm-hmm. and hide your weaknesses. This team has some weaknesses uh, but they can be overcome with some superb strengths, but those strengths have to be, you know, you have to play really well. You have to be clean. Yeah, totally agree. All right, let's put it in play. Who are we? Well, before you decide, one last question. Mm-hmm. Keep Jenna Johnson at the leadoff? I think so. I think so, too. Yeah. I saw enough quality. Again, you know, a lot of people are like, hits, hits, hits. Not, not every quality at bat ends in a hit. Sometimes right. it's just a good at bat. And I saw enough from Jenna quality at bat wise that told me keeping her at the leadoff spot is worth it Yeah, for the Ole Miss series. Again, we can reevaluate, but I like it for now. I think your only other legitimate option as it stands right now is put Prangy back there. I think you want people on base with Prangy up there if at all, if at all possible. Right. I'm fine with that part of the order. I, I really, I really think your only issue is one, Hopefully, Allie Shipman, now that she's not playing LSU. So weird. <laughs> so weird. You know, you can maybe get her back up to the three spot. Uh, the over, overall, the top of the order is fine. It's just what you want to do with that bottom bottom of the order. But speaking of the bottom of the order, the fan club oh! was ecstatic. They were very pleased with the development. How this was weekend. the meeting <laughs> the, the on meeting, Monday morning? There were high fives all around. Really? As, as we had the cinnamon buns. Uh, and we'll have to, uh, again, I have to get uh, Larissa's information so she can come and be our keynote speaker. Uh, but I'm going to go with Larissa Pruitt. Good choice. Thank you very much. We are Larissa Pruitt. We're laying one down on accident, kind of. Mm. It's like the definition of a swinging bunt that just tails along right. the line. And we're reaching first. Because of the speed. Because when you think of the out right. boys, yes. you think speed. That's us. And the catcher's not throwing it away in this scenario. No. We're just advancing to first. Even if she did, we may just stay there. That's right. We'll be like... <laughs> just winded. You know what? <laughs> I'm good. I Pinch runner! Pinch runner! <laughs> when we come back, we'll look around the SEC... 
Tennessee, Arkansas was as good as advertised. The rest of the conference saw some craziness as well. That's next year on the Out of the Box Podcast. We have returned, heaving here at first base, advancing to first on the Out of the Box Podcast. Gray and Tom. Would like the oxygen tank delivered, please. Thank you. Yes, and I will not smash one of those iPads like some people do out of frustration when I see that she threw the ball away. I would have had no idea because I'd be leaning down, <laughs> surrender Cobra. Yes. They'd look and be like, oh, uh, I could have. Okay. Uh, I'm um, good. I was wondering why Allie was yelling at me. <laughs> what do you mean go? <laughs> I'm here. I'm already I'm, here. I made it. Yes. I'm safe. Oh, man. What happened in the SEC? Well, an interesting little shakeup in the conference standing. So we're going to do our usual plow through all the weekend series, talk about everybody, but we're going to do it with an eye towards the standing. So your first place team still is the Tennessee Lady Vols. However, mm. things got a little bit more complex with Arkansas winning game two and three of their series, six, four and two, nothing. Ashley Rogers, phenomenal in game one. That was the last we saw of her until she came in to get one out in game three and got and Pickens were fine. Mm-hmm. but not able to hold down the Razorbacks who picked up two very, very important wins for them. So as it stands, I feel pretty confident that it'll be Tennessee still as your SEC champion, but the margin is closed. And Arkansas, for all intents and purposes, is probably locked up a bye in the SEC tournament as long as they don't lose a road series at Missouri. Tennessee had the opportunity to clinch the regular season championship, uh, but – Arkansas was able to get that win. It, it's hard to win in Fayetteville, but only the second time this year uh, that Tennessee has lost back-to-back games, mm. uh, first time in the conference. Uh, so I think that does maybe pose a little bit more uh, of a concern if you're if you're the Lady Vols looking ahead. It would still take a, a mighty collapse next weekend for Tennessee not to win, win the SEC regular season championship, to have the opportunity to close the door and not get it done last weekend does raise a red flag. It makes me wonder a little bit if teams had figured out the other pitchers a little bit sooner, how more interesting would this race be? Because it it clearly looks like Karen Weekly is saying, we are sticking with our Ashley Rogers plan. She will throw one game complete if she can. Right. And otherwise we will not bring her in unless absolutely necessary. And if Pickens and Gottschall, not to play the what if game, weren't as good as they were early in the year, Tennessee would be in a fascinating position right now, but you know, Ashley Rogers continues to look really good and we'll see if she's ready for the postseason. Like it's amazing when you look at if that Callie Hevlin foul ball on the grand slam had been fair. I think about it too. Like how different not only is, was that, would that series have been, how different are the standings right now? Mm-hmm. So yeah. There, Cause I lot. believe that was also the same day as the Georgia Mississippi State rain out, was it not? I believe so. Yeah. So that whole day just amazing. shaped so much of this <laughs> conference race. <laughs> just so much happened. Ah, uh, unbelievable. Was that also the day of the the umpire leaving the, the yes. stadium to find the, the rule book and everything? Is that the just... new like vortex? The new portal? <laughs> that is the new. That is the new portal you don't want to go through. Oh boy. Uh, so much happened. But yeah, I think Tennessee. I still think Tennessee is one of the few teams that I think would have a chance to beat Oklahoma in a three-game series. 
because of the pitching that they do have. But I think there are a lot of teams that could beat Tennessee. Yeah. So it's a weird situation. Totally agree. For Arkansas, power, power, power. I mean, a Rylan Hedgecock two-run homer in game three is a difference. You had the Halverson and Foreman home runs that stood up in game two. And when Arkansas is swinging it out of the yard, they're very tough to beat. When they're not, you know, they're gettable because they're not a team that hits super well in terms of batting average. I mean, team average of 278, people are complaining about Alabama's offense. Arkansas is hitting .004 better (laughs) than Alabama. But the difference is the home runs that are coming for the Hogs. Absolutely. Uh, and that's you know kind of how their offense is built. Uh, so if you're playing Arkansas, try to keep them in the yard, obviously. Moving on down in the standings, the next team we would get to is Auburn because Georgia had the week off after beating our beers, mm. Mercer, in the midweek. Auburn, game one, Matty Penta, complete game win, one nothing. Game two, Donnie Goborn, fear the lashes. Mm. Gamecocks, no hit the Tigers, 8 nothing in 5. Loss for the, you know, other than Pintas in there. Annabelle Weidra got the start in game two for Auburn. Game three, Matty Pinta is like, you know what? Anything you can do, I can do better. Right, yeah. Another no-hitter, this time for the Tigers, and they win 10 nothing in five. Jeez. I mean, that's why, and we'll talk about the Mass and Shipman here in a minute, that, you know, Auburn is, is a scary team. Yeah. Uh, with, especially with Pinta in the circle, uh, what they're able to do offensively. But I think the fact that we're surprised a little bit that Auburn was able to do that against South Carolina says a little bit of a little bit about South Carolina too. But a really impressive second game for the Gamecocks. Absolutely. Next on the standings, you got Alabama, you got LSU, and then you have the only team to be done with their conference slate. That is the twelve and twelve in the SEC, Texas A and M Aggies, who. Get two out of three against Missouri. My late switch did not pay off. Mm. Should have stuck with the Aggie pick. Although, for a hot second in game three, it looked good. A&M wins game 1-6-2. Missouri wins game 2-8-1. Missouri is leading 4-1 in game three. It's looking good. Tigers are playing well. And then an error. And then, oh God, (laughs) A&M just demolishes the Tigers. They end up winning it 11-4. I think it was seven unearned runs in the fifth inning against the Tigers. That is not good. The the floodgates open for sure for the Aggies there. And I think if you'd have told Trisha Ford before the season, 500 overall in the SEC and 14 games over 500 overall in your overall record, I think she would have taken it and been ecstatic. Absolutely. Uh, so I think Texas A&M, considering where they were and in the first year for, for Coach Ford, uh, I think you can definitely call this a win. Absolutely. Right in the middle of the pack, that is much higher than everybody expected coming yep. into the year, and that will just keep building. The Florida Gators have entered full Enigma status. They're not used to being in the middle of the pack. No, because right now, A&M slightly ahead of the Florida Gators. Florida will be in your 8-9 game at the SEC tournament. Game one, Gators win in a walk-off. Big comeback against Ole Miss. Yeah, I mean, Ole Miss had that game. Yeah, and then Reagan Walsh. Bombs away to win 6-5. Game two, going in, we're like, okay, so Florida has woken up. Right. They're about to steamroll the rest of this weekend. 
Ole Miss wins game 2-7-2. Two, two. <laughs> they woke up and went directly back to sleep, apparently. I just hit the snooze button. And then game three, oh, there it is. Mm. Florida wins 12-2 in five in a game that Ole Miss scored two runs at the top of the first inning in. Yeah, it, it's hard to figure out. You know, offensively, considering what they did against Tennessee last weekend, what they the numbers that they put up this weekend against Ole Miss, which doesn't have a, doesn't have a bad pitching staff. Right. Um, and really, Skylar Wallace not the explosive weekend we've seen from her of late. Yeah. She was good, but just merely good compared to the home run RBI machine that she was against Tennessee and Georgia. Right. So that's why it makes it so difficult to figure them out because it's not like a situation like Alabama where, well, you know, you don't know what you're going to get maybe in game two with Montana Fouts isn't pitching. You don't know what you're going to get any game. At any Florida. point. No idea. Any pitcher. You have no idea. I mean, every once in a while, one of their pitchers is going to, you know, throw a complete game shutout or, or really shut somebody down. But more often than not, they're going to have to win shootouts pretty much against anybody. Yeah. And they were able to do it twice against Ole Miss. But, you know, that that's one of those series, I think, if you're Florida, you expect maybe to get that sweep and try to move up in the standings. And they weren't able to do it. Not at all. So Florida right now, 10 and 11 in the SEC. Ole Miss at 7 and 14. Trying to avoid that play-in game right now, they would be the 11 seed in the SEC tournament. I think they'll probably avoid it as long as they don't get swept by Alabama this weekend. I would love to see Ole Miss get swept, but still, I think if Ole Miss wins one game, they'll be fine out of that play-in game. The final team and series to discuss features the OG Enigmas and another team trying to stay out of the play-in game, and that's, uh, this isn't a vocal typo, Mississippi State sweeping Kentucky. One of the more baffling series, maybe all year in this conference, kind of going along with what ended up being the first weekend when Mississippi State swept South Carolina at the point where we're like, well, well, I guess South Carolina's not going to be very good again. And then Mississippi State went on a, was it, 15 game conference, went losing streak afterwards. Almost 14. 14. Okay. Yes. I, I miss, I miss math. How excuse, dare you give me. them an extra? Right. It might have been 15 at that Georgia game. That's, that's got rained out. Yeah, exactly. For Kentucky to get swept at Mississippi State in this situation. With with Schoonover back. With Stephanie Schoonover back. I mean, this is a Kentucky team that was a top 10 team legitimately not that long ago this season and is now fighting, scratching, and clawing to stay out of the play-in game in the SEC tournament. Quite, Quite a tailspin for the Wildcats. It is not out of the question that Kentucky play that first day of the SEC tournament, which mm. is, they're so much better than that. Right. But you don't want to be in Wednesday night sadness. It's, it's fascinating how quickly it's derailed. Yeah. I mean, I, I even go back to the preseason because I was listening to it earlier today as we record, you were very confident in your Kentucky yeah. top five preseason prediction. And I had them just outside the top five. I was a little bit more hesitant on the pitching because that's kind of our bit, but sure. also a real yeah. piece of analysis. But What's weird is in the games where the pitching is not atrocious, the offense is getting held down. Right. Like I'm looking here, game one against Mississippi State, State wins 6-2. Don't want to give up six runs to Mississippi State, but I've seen Mississippi State's pitching in person. That Kentucky offense should be scoring should be, more right. than two runs. Well, that's, just, that's why I was so big on Kentucky was I thought that their pitching would be improved, but even, in, even if it wasn't that much improved, I thought their offense was going to be good enough to win shootouts and you know Aaron Koffel's having a 
possible, you know, player of the year type season, but they're not getting enough from top to bottom in that order, which they, which uh, it is better than what the numbers are putting out. I think it's very telling. You've got a team with a 303 overall team average, and you've got two hitters who are hitting 452 and 440. Yeah. That means you got a lot of people who are bringing that number down. Mm-hmm. And when your team ERA is 446, I mean, this is, it, it's, it's baffling. And I think now, I mean, I don't, I don't know where Kentucky stands. I don't know either. And it's, it's crazy. Like if you're Alabama looking at your conference schedule this year, you're thinking, well, it may be a good thing that we don't play Kentucky this year because, you know, Kowalik's fifth year, you know, they, they've seems if they may be good that we're missing them. They've seen Montana a thousand times, like maybe more than anybody, Florida kind of the same way. And actually, what might have been good if Alabama had played Kentucky and Florida this year. Yeah, I think just the, nuts. the team that you're probably happy you're not playing is A&M, <laughs> right. which is probably the team you're saying, oh, I yeah, wish they were on our schedule this exactly. year. Exactly. Just crazy uh, how some of these teams have, have totally turned on, on what we thought they were going to be at the beginning of the year. Doesn't make any sense, but you know what? That's college softball. Mm-hmm. Then let's go to the FGCL Player of the Week. This is officially, Tom the most stacked week we've ever had wow we had some crazy stat lines and there might not even be a debate for the winner of the week right. but we'll see there okay. could be here are your nominees sarah willis ucf 14 innings two hits no runs three walks and seven k's game one against houston the first seven inning perfect game in ucf history followed it up montana-esque game three with a two-hit shutout Jeez. Just crazy. Props to Sarah. Yeah, well done. Hallie Waycaser, Florida State. Seven for 10 with six RBIs, two home runs, two doubles, a walk, and four runs scored. Game two against Notre Dame. Three for three, six RBIs, two home runs, a double, and two runs scored. Jeez, Claire Davidson. They did did not take kindly to Notre Dame almost winning game one. No, they were like, you thought? No, absolutely not. (laughs) How dare you? Claire Davidson, Duke. 7 of 12, 583 average, 3 RBIs, a homer, 2 doubles, 2 walks, a strikeout, and 2 runs scored. Maggie Purdy at Eastern Kentucky, 8 of 9 for an 889 average, 4 RBIs, 2 home runs, 2 doubles, 4 walks, and 2 runs scored. So that means, based on just the hits and the walks, that's a 923 OBP. Not bad. I mean, we had a perfect game on here. We almost had a perfect week of hitting from Maggie Purdy, if not for the second at-bat of the last game of the weekend against Lipscomb that was a ground out to third and a throw that beat her by half a step. I went and watched the play to see how (laughs) close she was. Incredible. KK Madry, Liberty, 7 of 13, 538 average, four RBIs, two doubles, four strikeouts, and five runs scored. So you take out the four Ks, that's a seven of nine ball put in play batting average for KK Madry. Camille Marin, Iowa State. She's a player that I've tracked all year. She's been a multi-FGCL participant. Mm-hmm. And typically, Iowa State puts her in for one game out of a series, maybe one midweek. They've got a pretty hefty catcher rotation. Her start in the Baylor series was game three. 
In that game, she went two for three with three RBIs, a homer, and a run scored. That homer was her first career home run. It came in the fourth to take a 6-5 lead over Baylor, and that 6-5 score would end up being the final score as Iowa State won the series over Baylor. Wow. Just awesome. That's the kind of stuff that we love here on FTCL Player of the Week. Finally, your Big Ten Player of the Week as well, Cora Bassett, Indiana. Six for 12, two RBIs, a homer, a triple, a walk, a strikeout, and five runs scored. Great week for Cora Bassett, your Big Ten Player of the Week. It's crazy that she is almost certainly not about to be one of the final two that you mentioned. That's how good this week was. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That, we have a player who went three for three with six RBIs and isn't going to be the final in the final two. What the heck? <laughs> yeah, the final two is Sarah Willis who threw the perfect game and uh, Maggie Purdy, uh, eight for nine. I'm telling you what, if Maggie Purdy had beaten out that ground ball to third, she's probably my pick. I know perfect games are really hard, right. but a truly perfect hitting week I have literally never seen in the four years that we've been charting FGCL Player of the Week. And, and I even see like, well, just Walker. She did four times. Four times. <laughs> but she didn't beat out that one ground ball. Uh, and Sarah did get all 21 outs against Houston. Yep. So our FGCL Player of the Week is Sarah Willis. But I got to say, this was like the only week I've ever seen where a perfect game was challenged right. for Player of the Week. Because uh, as soon as... It happened because this happened on Friday. Yeah, the perfect game. I texted you. Well, I guess I know who's going to be the FGCL Player of the Week. This and time. I was like, "Yep, yep, probably right." Yep. And Maggie Purdy almost said, mm. "Hold on, America." Ah, she almost tried to do a Top Gun Maverick on her, but no. <laughs> you go, girl. <laughs> <laughs> so phenomenal weekend all the way around. There are a lot of really worthy participants and players who didn't even make this list it was that stacked but congratulations to our ftcl player of the week sarah willis okay we've got the sign tom shall we motor we've caught our breath yes we'll head on down. after that 20 minute segment we're now <laughs> trucking over to second because it's time to talk with madison shipman our dear friend from espn will be joining us on the other side we're stealing second next here on the out of the box podcast It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome back to the Out of the Box Podcast. Craig Robertson and Tom Canterbury here. We are stealing second on the show, a slightly amended stealing second segment because we were going to do double trouble, but now we've just got trouble. Madison Shipman from ESPN is joining us on the show, the All-American from Tennessee. Of course, you know her from the Seven Innings Podcast. Maddie, always good to see you again. How are you? 
I am doing great. It's the the crazy time of year, the best time of year. Uh, but I'm not even sure what day it is right now. But I know I'm right. I'm on here with you guys, so I, I did something right today. <laughs> That's right. We know it's the beginning of the week because right. we're doing a podcast. Well, it's, it, they don't call it mayhem for nothing. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yes. As as we record, it is officially May. Uh, I know we advertised Kayla Bro coming on. She had something pop up. We're gonna have Bro back on the show at some point really soon. But we've got our throwback throwdown partner Madison Shipman on it, and Maddie. You know, I'm I'm just impressed that you even agreed to do a joint podcast interview with Bro after the throwback throwdown where your team lost. How is that friendship going <laughs> since that broadcast? Oh man, you know Kayla and I still talk uh, every single day, uh, especially this time of year. Um, but no, I, I I think Kayla and I just had so much fun doing that game and being able to relive some of the memories of us playing back in the day. And also, there were some surprises that we had no idea what was going to pop up and of course the infamous photo that I cannot seem to get rid of of me trying to field a ball in between my legs which in case you didn't know is not how you should do that um, seems to be resurfacing several times already this year but it was so much fun I was sore for about a week after playing catch with Kayla on the field but I made it my arm is still attached um, but now I kind of like want to throw a little bit more I don't know I need to find a new throwing partner down on the field <laughs> well, if nothing else, you can uh, you can say, well, we might have lost that game, but team won the series. So you, they, that is got true. That they, they did win the series. Yes. yes. <laughs> the last laugh, I guess. <laughs> That's right. All right. Let's talk about what's going on right now. We'll start, of course, with Alabama LSU. Alabama able to win another series behind a just phenomenal weekend from Montana Fouts. She's thrown seven complete game shutouts in conference play, which is, I believe, at last check, the combined number of complete game shutouts that Ashley Rogers and Maddie Pinta has mm. in conference play this year, just to put that in perspective. I personally think she is pitching the best she has in her entire career. What say you? I agree. I, I think she looks so good. And again, one trend that we've seen from Montana throughout her career is like getting stronger from game one to game three or whatever the second game of the three game series is, is that she's throwing. And I think we've seen her continue to get stronger as this season has gone on too. And for somebody, there's so many, uh, there's so much film out, there's so much scouting, and yet she's still able to change her pitches just enough to where batters really can't get comfortable in the box. And I really liked how this past weekend, it seemed like maybe LSU was looking for the pitch down in the zone in game one. Game three, she pumped a ton of rise balls up and in on the hands, kind of knowing that maybe that's the location they were going for. But she can still pump 72 in on the hands and it's hard to get your hands too. So I think that she looks really strong. She looks really healthy. And we know that that's going to be a big key for Alabama moving forward as we head into the postseason. And then offensively for Alabama, the issue for the Tide had been, uh, up until last weekend, had been got a lot of hits but didn't get a lot of runs. So that the offense was actually there. You just weren't scoring the runs. But then this weekend... Not as many hits, but the runs actually came. So it is kind of weird watching what happens with this offense. Uh, but what is your take on where Alabama stands offensively right now? Yeah, I mean, I think it's easy for me to sit here and say the offense has to step up. I think that's true for every single team, especially when you've got an ace in the circle. Like, you have to be able to score runs behind them. Uh, but to your point, they they came through with the timely hit, Ashley Prangy with a solid two-run home run. Sometimes that's all it takes when you're going up against some really good pitching. And I do think that LSU's pitching is, is pretty underrated. We don't talk about them a lot, but I think they do a really nice job uh, of mixing pitches outside of the zone and getting you to miss hit 
a lot of balls to where you're not squaring up a ton of pitches. Uh, the one thing that I would love to see from Alabama is maybe making a, an over-exaggerated adjustment when pitchers are continuing to throw you in the same spot at bat after at bat after at bat. And it's easier said than done because a lot of times as a hitter, it feels like you're over-adjusting and then you watch it on film and you're like, dang, that's the same looking swing that I've had this entire season. So I think look going forward, maybe that's something that I would look to to do a little bit more top to bottom is kind of over-exaggerate, over-adjust, do a little bit of something different um, to try to come through with a little bit more of those timely situational hits that you're talking about. What would be an example of an over-exaggerated adjustment just from the analytical point of view? Yeah, you know, uh, so um, a couple of batters, um, I think it's a... There's a couple that pop in in mind, but Kahalen, I think she's seeing a lot of pitches low and away and a lot of change ups. And so for me, I'm thinking, man, like dive across, take a chance, maybe try to drive something opposite field. I think she's been so good for Alabama all season long. And, and I think when you're good as a freshman, all of a sudden you have a big target on your back as you get later into the season and everybody has the scouting and they've got the analytics of where they want to pitch you. But I think you can easily go up there with that game plan and use it to your advantage, kind of see where pitchers are trying to attack you and go up with that attack mindset on that pitch. And now it's just, you know, it's not just Kahalen. I mean, there's so many hitters across the board. And even for myself, when I played, I hated hitting drop balls low and away. And that was the scouting report is just throw her low and away, low and away, because eventually I have to swing and I have to try to make an adjustment. And finally, I just said, you know what? I'm going to dive into this one. I'm going to step across and try to drive something to right field. And once you take one pitch away, then all of a sudden the pitcher has to throw their number two and their number three and their number four. And then you've got the pitcher in your back pocket at that point. The other question with Alabama is how the tide is going to perform in the non-Montana games well, don't know how many more of those we're going to have left in the season, but uh, or with postseason coming up. But there are going to be a few. Uh, we saw this weekend kind of a encapsulation of everything that's happened in some of those non-Montana games. It's not always the pitching that is the issue in the non-Montana game. Sometimes it has become the other phases of the game. How important is it for the team to play clean in those games that Montana is not pitching? I think you're you're hinting at the defense is what I'm getting. A little point. bit of that. Little, a, a little subtle, not so hint right, right. there. No, yeah. I, I completely agree. I, I think that that's something that when you've got pitchers in the circle that aren't your typical maybe strikeout pitchers, they're not going to strike out 10, 11 batters a game. You have to have a defense behind you that's going to make plays. And I think, again, there's a, there's a little bit of risk and reward from the defensive side of things. You can't possibly cover every single ball that's hit into play. But I think as a defender, you you can take into account the hitter swing tendencies, what pitch is being called in the direction in which that pitch is going to go to kind of give you a leg up on where you need to move to make a play on that ball. And I think we saw even LSU this past weekend, Taylor Pleasance at shortstop, I think does a great job of doing that because there are balls that are hit off at the bat. You think, oh, that's a base hit all the way. And then you look and there's Taylor Pleasance positioned up the middle, but she's taking a chance on the pitch location and the batter that's up at the plate to field a ball that might normally be a base hit. So I think that that's something that that maybe Alabama can do a little bit more too, is take some risks defensively to hopefully reap some of the rewards. I like that. Madison Chipman joining us here on the Out of the Box podcast. And Maddie, on the LSU side, it's another conference series where they, they just couldn't get it done. Swept by Tennessee at home, series losses at Alabama, at Auburn, they were in all those games in the latter two series I just mentioned, but but couldn't find a way to win the series. On paper, 
this is an LSU team that looks like it has everything, especially now that Taylor Pleasance is back healthy, and yet something still feels like it's missing. What could be that missing piece? Well, I think the one common thing that you mentioned with all three of those series is that the the pitchers that they were having to face are some of the best, if not the best, across the country between Matty Penta at, at uh, Auburn and Ashley Rogers at Tennessee and Montana Fouts at Alabama. Those aren't pitchers that you go into the weekend saying, you know what, I'm going to pad my stats as a hitter. Like you just, you got you to go into that weekend saying, we've got to come through with that timely hit. And I know we say that over and over, and I know it's easier said than done because I know what it's like to be in that spot. But I look at somebody like LSU and I like the combination of speed and power that they have up at the plate. When you've got Sierra Briggs and Danica Coffey to be able to set the table, maybe they weren't able to get it done in some of these SEC series. But I think when you're going up against some teams that are outside of the SEC in the postseason, I think that's where they can really surprise some people. Uh, maybe even uh, hit and run or you know stealing some more bases. I think speed never slumps. And I know Kayla Bro, if she were here, she would totally be agreeing with me on this. I think that's something that automatically puts defenses on their heels. And when you have people like Georgia Clark and Taylor Pleasance to be able to drive them in, I just love that combination of speed and power that they have. And like you mentioned, getting getting Pleasance back in the lineup healthy is a big deal. And when I looked at her hits this past weekend, I thought she had great at-bats. She smoked the ball to the outfield. It just happened to go right to the fielder. So in my book, she was having quality at-bats. They just didn't find any grass. Let's take a look at your alma mater and the, the team that is, as we record, one win away from clinching the SEC regular season. Uh, we're recording on Monday afternoon, so we don't know the result of the Arkansas game coming up here this evening as of yet. But um, we saw maybe a little bit of a a flaw coming up with the pitching staff. Ashley Rogers only pitched two third or two innings last weekend, but then in game one against Arkansas, alleviated all those <laughs> doubts. Amazing. Yeah, yeah everything's yeah. fine. Um, but then we have seen Carla Pickens kind of come back down to earth from where she was at the beginning of the year. Um, is there any concern for what Tennessee has pitching wise? Because that has really been one of the things that has kept them at the top. I don't know if I would necessarily call it concern because I think that Ashley Rogers, when she came out this this past weekend, I think all of us kind of had our eyes on on her and how she was going to perform. She looked as good as she's looked this entire year. So so whatever they're doing over at Tennessee, making sure that she is staying as healthy as possible, it's obviously working. The ease in which she's able to throw her rise ball, the way that pitch is snapping out and the way that she's able to locate her pitches, you know that when she's in the circle, she's going to give you a chance to win. And for the rest of their pitching staff, I think for Carlin Pickens, she has so much talent and so much velocity. I think for her, it's just a matter of being able to locate her spots a bit more consistently. And we've seen her do that throughout this season. I think back to the shutout win against Clemson earlier on in the season. I think it's just a matter of her getting back to that point. Um, but Peyton Gottschall is a pitcher that I think stepped up for them last weekend against Florida, got touched up a little bit last night against uh, the Razorbacks. I think it was Halverson and Foreman went back to back with home runs off of her. Uh, but I think she's somebody too, that I think has done some really good things for that staff. Am I concerned for them moving forward? No. Am I intrigued on how they're going to use their staff in the postseason? Absolutely. Because uh, I think the question that I've had is, are they saving Rodgers to be able to throw her, you know, you know, every game in a regional or every game in a super regional. But on the flip side, we haven't seen her throw, I don't think, two games in a series since the Alabama series. was Might have been the only time that we've seen her appear twice in a series. 
So the question I had was, do you practice her and, and have her throw uh, two games in the same weekend? Or do you just go ahead and save her for when you really need that to happen when it comes time for the postseason? So we'll kind of see. That's kind of where my mind is uh, as far as how they're going to use their pitching staff moving forward. Because uh, I've always been under the impression that if you're going out there with your season on the line, you want your ace in the circle. And then offensively for the Lady Balls, uh, clutch is the word that keeps coming to mind when I see them because they um, – it's almost comparatively in, in a positive way to Oklahoma offensively. Sometimes it's not the number of hits that they get, but they seem to get them all at the big times. Yeah, game one, I believe it was Donahue with that big home run out to right field. And she's somebody that has kind of struggled a little bit as we've gotten into conference play. So it's good for the volunteers to see that she's maybe picking up a little bit of confidence. Um, Zeta Pooney came through with another clutch hit, too. I, I think that that's another key to Tennessee's success. One, their offense has to have a lot of confidence knowing that their pitching staff is keeping them in every single ball game. And two, it doesn't just rely on one batter in the order. You're not just looking at Kiki Malloy to get it done every single time. Um, but three, I, I do like their balance of lefty hitters and righty hitters. And I know we don't talk about that a ton, but I do think it makes a difference, especially when you're facing primarily right-handed pitchers, to have a lot of lefties that you can throw up at the plate. Uh, Lair Boutet, I think, is somebody that's going to bust out um, anytime now. I just love her swing. I love the swag and the confidence that she brings. Um, so being able to have her up there along with Kiki Malloy and Zeta Pooney and McKenna Gibson, who's been on fire, uh, it's just a it's a really complete lineup, it seems like, top to bottom. Tell me if you think this statement is correct. Skylar Wallace is going to win SEC Player of the Year, but the best player in the conference is Kiki Malloy because I know the obstruction call was debated <laughs> oh. and I was told by an umpire by the letter of the law it was correct, which sucks. But the best part of that play was the Kiki Malloy throw. I mean, everything that she does is just incredible. Yeah, is it fair to say that uh, Kiki Malloy is the best right-handed uh, batter or right-handed player in the SEC and Skylar Wallace is the best left-handed hitter player in the SEC? I, I can just, we do that? Is that a thing I, that we can I do? I look at them and, and I just think that they're, they're so much fun to watch because they're, they're very similar in how they play the game as far as speed and, and power and just this aggressive mindset. And I mean that in the best way possible. I think you have to have that when you're on the field. Um, but I've just been so impressed with the way that that Skylar Wallace has continued to play, even though the team maybe hasn't won the games that we're used to seeing Florida win. Um, even that Tennessee series was absolutely insane. The back and forth and the runs and, you know, Florida ended up getting swept that weekend. But the way that Skylar Wallace was able to come through on pitches that were not even close to the zone. I mean, I'm telling you, like rise balls like up at her forehead, uh, it. It was truly incredible, but that that obstruction play, I can sit here and talk about it for about an hour, um, but it was a great throw by Kiki Malloy that doesn't get to go down in the stat books, but trust me, Kiki, we all saw it, and it was incredible. We should just tell any runner, if you're going home and you're definitely out, just start sliding, just start no matter sliding. where they are. And then, yeah, it'll be called. Yes. Yeah, you know, I like I said, I, I could dust off my soapbox and get up there and start talking about that rule. But may, maybe maybe we will if there's time at the end. I don't know. Oh, man. Oh, but, oh I, we mm. might be playing a game later. No. Who's to say? All right. <laughs> uh, on the flip side with that Monday night softball game that we're going to see later tonight again as we record it is an Arkansas team that is super fascinating to me. Very young, clearly very talented. Shanice Dells has not 
dropped off, honestly, like I thought she would after winning SEC Pitcher of the Year last year and with teams getting more tape and, and more experience against her. And yet, you know, if they couldn't do it last year, I'm curious, is this the year that Arkansas is able to make a run to OKC? What do you think? You know, I think when I look at Arkansas, I think I would love, like we were talking about with Alabama, I think you'd love to see more consistency out of the offense to be able to come through. And I think we saw examples of what they can do and what we know all of those players absolutely have the potential to do in that lineup between Hannah Gamble and Kylie Halverson and Christina Foreman. There's so many batters right there that have so much power uh, that I think we've all kind of been waiting for them to just, you know, have this explosive offensive weekend. Uh, but Shanice I, it still looks fantastic in my mind. The one thing that's been the difference maker is her ability to now go up in the zone. And last year it was primarily with the drop ball again that she picked up in one day. I still don't know how she was able to do that. Um, but kind of a similar situation with the rise. She picked it up so quickly. I think we've seen throughout this season her fine tune that pitch and not just throw it, but actually throw it in like really good locations, especially against right-handed batters. When you can get that pitch moving up and in, in underneath their hands it's really hard to get solid barrel on and typically when you do when that pitch is in the right location it's going to be a foul ball down the left field line so you're it's a strike for for the pitcher um but i i love the way that she's been able to throw they've got a young team like you mentioned um i, I still think that they have a lot of potential um it's just a matter of them being able to kind of come through a little bit more with the consistency right there in the middle of the order. Um, but Reagan Johnson ha has been fantastic all year long as a freshman. So a lot of bright careers, uh, bright futures ahead of the Razorback squad. Now a team doesn't always make a run in Oklahoma city or in the NCAA tournament like Texas did last year, being not a host anytime and then making it to the championship series. But if there is a team like that this year, would it possibly be a team like Auburn who has the offense and the ace pitcher like Matty Penta? I, I think it comes down to the pitching, and that's what I'm going to say, yes. And as a hitter, it's hard for me to say this, but the good pitching is going to beat good hitting most of the time, right? <gasps> wow. You know, I know, I know. It's taboo. I said it, right? <laughs> um, but but it's just true. I mean, on a hitter, uh, on a good day, I'm getting one hit. Or if I'm Kayla, I'm getting two or three. But if on a good day, <laughs> I, I'm getting one hit against a pitcher, so they're still getting me out two, two or three mm. times in a ball game. And I do think that for that reason, because Maddie Penta is that good, I do think that they could upset some teams when it comes time for the postseason. And for them, I think it's just been a matter of, you know, kind of navigating those game twos and they, you know, with their pitching staff and who's going to throw. And I think because you lose some games here and there, that's why you kind of trickle down when it comes to the RPI or the rankings. Um, but again, if I'm an opposing team, I do not want to face Maddie Penta when the season is on. I, I Again, similar to what we talked about with, with Shanice Dels and with Montana Fouts, I think she's come into the season with almost a different repertoire of pitches. So you can't just go in there and sit one pitch. You can't just sit the high velocity. You have to deal with the change in speeds and the different movement that she has on her spins. So uh, I've just been really impressed watching Maddie Penta, who's only a junior, I believe. I, th I think we still get uh, yep. another season of Maddie Penta in the SEC. Yep. yep. Yeah, so we we had Montana Fouts stay in Tuscaloosa, uh, taking on you know taking on Auburn with Montana Fouts uh, on her senior day. I'm sure the the uh, the favor is going to be returned next year when Alabama has traveled. <laughs> Fairly confident. Yeah. And to your point yeah. about Auburn as well, Maddie. 
the way I've charted it right now, somehow I still have Clemson in as a potential host. I have him as a 16. I'm fairly certain that's where Auburn's going to go, and I would pick Auburn right now yeah. to get out of that regional. Auburn versus Auburn with a lake. Yes, again. Mm. And, like, Auburn's getting out of that. I mean, there are a lot of teams, as I look at who could potentially host outside the SEC, that I see and go, Auburn can beat them maybe easily. I, I think it's just one of those teams that's going to be a brutal matchup for somebody. Yeah, and they, they just seem to play really calm under high-pressure moments. What was it? I think I was listening with like eight or nine walk-offs already for that team this yeah. year. I mean, we talk about being able to come through with a timely hit. Well, Auburn's figured out a way to do it. Not just once, not just twice, but multiple times this year. And you get somebody like Denver Bryant back who went down with an injury last season. And the fire that she brings in the dugout, it just seems like the whole team feeds off of her energy. We we have talked way too nice about Tennessee and Auburn. My apologies to all the Clemson and Alabama fans, (laughs) but I will probably pick Auburn to come out of the regional. Okay, uh, every week it feels like we're asking our guests, what's up with Florida? Why? What is going on? Who? Why? What? How? What, but I'm going to amend it. What's the fix? Like, like what has to happen for Florida to go on a similar run that they did last year? Maybe not to OKC, Mm. but just, but just getting to supers and challenging. I say uh, other than wait for the recruiting class to come in. (laughs) Maybe. Okay. I mean, there's gotta be, there's gotta be something because every year Tim Walton teams show up in the postseason. But I mean, this squad this year is just too tough to figure out right now. Yeah, the one thing I would say that, you know, for for Florida, their their pitching is just they're they're pitch to contact type of pitchers and they don't have pitchers that are going to blow you away with velocity. So for an opposing team, it's just a matter of trying to get on time. Um, and, and their pitchers, whether it's Trilicek or, or Trilicek, excuse me, or Hightower, they both kind of like to live on the inside part of the plate to right-handed batters. So you're going to see a lot of foul balls down that left field line, but because they don't have a ton of velocity, you see a lot of hard balls put into play. So for me, my mind goes to their defense, and, and I think their defense has to be able to play clean D if they want to make a run like they did last season. Now, last season, you have somebody like Hannah Adams over at second base who we all appreciated as being one of the best, if not the best fielder in the SEC, but now you just realize how much ground that she was covering over on that second base side of the field. I think, was it regionals last year where she made a play like over in the shortstop position somehow? I don't know how she gets there, but she's able to do it. Uh, But for this year, I think they've got a lot of players that are maybe not playing their uh, traditional positions or the ones that they've played throughout their entire life. So they're kind of still figuring it out. But I do think that there is some potential with that offense to continue to do some damage in the postseason. They did something against Tennessee that really no other team has been able to do by putting up the amount of runs that they did last weekend. Now, they didn't come away with the win because their pitching staff ended up giving up more. But I still think as an offense, you can kind of come away with that with some confidence going, hey, this is what we were able to do against one of the top pitching staffs in the country. If we can do that against them, we can do that against anybody. Listening to the Seven Innings podcast, uh, I, I love the candor of Kayla Bro when was asked uh, if Baylor had any shot to beat Oklahoma, and she said absolutely none, zero chance, and she was correct. Uh, so I will, I, I will ask the question to you: Does Oklahoma State, playing not their best right now, uh, have any chance at Oklahoma this weekend? You know, I, I really, 
when I watch Oklahoma State, I really don't think so. And again, maybe I'm too defensive minded here, but I, I go to the defense too. And I look at their past couple of losses and I think it was seven errors in the past eight games. And now there were even when I was watching the games against Texas Tech, there were even some balls that I thought should have been ruled errors that were ruled hits. Now I'm mm. a little bit of a stickler when it comes to that. So I can see how it would be both ways. But when you've got somebody like Lexi Kilfoyle in the circle, who's going to throw down ball, who's going to induce a lot of ground balls, you've got to be able to make plays behind them. Uh, so their, their loss to Texas Tech, I believe it was eight innings, a walk-off for Texas Tech this past weekend. It was a lot of ground balls that just happened to make it right through the infield or right underneath somebody's glove that doesn't necessarily go down as an error, but those are plays that need to be made in my book. And you know when you go up against Oklahoma, already there's not any room for error because of the way yeah. that they hit the ball. But also when you're going up against them, you know they're going to play solid defense all the way around. They've got three different pitchers that they can throw at you. Their offense, top to bottom, power, speed, you name it. They can do it all. They can hit every single pitch. So I think because Oklahoma State's offense has been struggling as of late, uh, they had, they put up some big runs against Texas Tech this past weekend. But because the offense for the past month or so has been struggling a little bit uh, and because uh, their defense has not been able to be as sharp as we've seen them be in the past, I think it's going to be a tough weekend for them against Oklahoma. Mind you, Oklahoma, I believe I was calculating it up, only gave up nine runs the entire month of April. Oh, oh. So that's going to lead to a lot yeah. of wins. <laughs> and you know the offense loves that. When the pitching's not giving up any runs, you can go yeah. out there and uh, pretty much free <laughs> sw or swing freely. Because we, I mean, it's amazing when we're watching – uh, or following along an Oklahoma game, as soon as the opponent makes an error, they should just walk off the field. Yeah, the it's game's over. over. Right, it, it, but it's... that's the pressure that they put on you, right? Yeah. So it's kind of a, you know a double-edged sword there because you know you've got to play clean defense, but you also can't put too much pressure on yourself to play the clean defense because then you don't play clean defense. So <laughs> right, it's, yeah. all, it's all a matter of just getting past that, the, the, the mental side of the game and going out there and playing, you know, worry-free softball, which again, easier said than done. I do think it's interesting though, that Kelly Maxwell hasn't started a ton of games over the course of the past couple of weeks. She's really come in relief a lot. Now, when she's gone in to start, she struck out 10, 11 batters a game. So I don't think there's any concerns with her there. Um, but I think it's an interesting strategy, maybe making sure that she can go game after game after game when it comes to the postseason. I don't know those coaches with the, the long-term thoughts on how they want to use their pitching staffs. That's right. And the, the secrets behind mm. the scenes that we will never know. We'll just find out <laughs> as it's happening. And to your point, I very vividly remember last year, the series in Norman, it felt like Oklahoma State was in all three of those games and then an error here, an error there. And all of yeah. a sudden, Oklahoma would put up a five spot. Yeah. And it, it's, it's can't amazing. do that and win. You're right. It's amazing that the chess match, you know, you talk about the defense, you can't, you have to play perfectly, but you can't think about playing perfectly kind of yeah. the same thing is offensively you want to be aggressive but also don't swing at bad pitches work the count and draw walks so it's, it's like <laughs> you've got to like try to create positive thoughts in your mind and not let the negative ones seep in and if you go up there thinking you know if Starocko's pitching don't swing at the rise you know the first thing you're going to do is swing at the rise ball right so I Absolutely. think it's yeah. a matter of training your brain to to think about these things in a positive light um, but all at the same balance of not putting too much pressure on yourself. It's, it's so much that's going on, of course, in between the ears when those players are out there on the field. But yeah, that's what Oklahoma does. They put pressure on you before the game even starts. Man. Well, you said positive. You said negative. That's the perfect segue to our little game. Madison Chipman joining us here as we steal second. And you can take this however you want. 
you, you can go with something you're excited about or something you want to rail on because it's time for get that ship out of here. Maddie, what you got? Oh, is it bad that my mind goes to the obstruction call? I Let's mean, go. I know we kind of touched on it earlier. My, my frustrations with it now, according, I get it according to the book. You cannot be in the base path without possession of the ball. There's also the other part of the rule, too, that I think, you know, we, we haven't gotten a ton of clarity on is if the runner's out by a substantial margin, then the, obviously the out would still be upheld. And in my opinion, in real time, when I'm down there on the field, what I think is a reasonable margin, I think is a lot less when it comes to distance if you're maybe looking from it from an outside perspective like to me if somebody's thrown out by a step and a half or two like you're hosed and yeah. I think when I looked at that play like she was hosed all the way and it was a great throw I thought it was a great tag where I, I don't know where else you're trying to position yourself if you're a catcher to be out of the way of the base path but also make sure you're getting the ball and putting a quick tag down especially if you're a left-handed catcher like Julia Katsoyanopoulos is uh, so uh, there's there's a lot of things that I struggle with on that play in particular and on obstruction in general is I get the rule, but I, I find it very hard from a defensive standpoint to figure out where I'm supposed to position myself realistically on those plays to still be able to make a play, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, but again, the reasonable margin of somebody being thrown out too is not somebody being thrown out, you know, halfway in between the base pads. Cause realistically we just don't see that happen a lot. But to me, if you're out by like two steps, you're hosed. It's not even close um, because it's happening so fast in real time. So again, that's my tiny soapbox. I guess I'll get on for the obstruction rule. Well, now, I mean, what annoys me, and again, it was explained over the weekend, the way the rule is written is there. there's no common sense factor. Because I think you're exactly right. Every day of the week, the runner should have been out at home because the throw was that good and obstruction shouldn't have mattered. But because of the way the rule is, mm -hmm. it is technically obstruction. And I think since it's a rules change year, we're literally going to get that ship out of here and fix it and figure it out. So I, I think people are still annoyed and confused by obstruction. It's probably the rule that is most debated across the country right now. I don't know what you think, Maddie. As I said, it's it's the targeting of college softball. No yeah, one knows what targeting is in football and it's kind of the same thing. I'm sure. That's what I just, like I said, like when I, I try to put myself in their shoes and now for one, I would have been called for obstruction every single time I went to cover second base because that's what I did. I mean, I put my foot right in the middle of the base and you were going to have to slide around it. And I get the safety. I, everybody wants everybody to be safe, but I totally understand that point of it. But even like rundowns, I think there's no way to properly execute a rundown without a player being in the base path at some point without the ball. So technically, according to the rule, yeah, there should be obstruction, right? But yeah. then there's there's that little bit of wiggle room, maybe with the rundown. I, there was an obstruction call on a rundown in my series, uh, the Tennessee Florida series last weekend that ended up ruling in favor of the runner. So the runner ended up being safe. And, you know, I kind of similar to what I'm telling you guys, I just, I'm trying to figure out where exactly to position yourself to where you're not crossing that base path at any point during a rundown. It's just, it's just hard to, uh, to make those plays. And, and, it, and it takes away from an incredible defensive play that Kiki Malloy right. made too. I mean, the throw, the way she charged the ball, the throw was completely spot on. The tag by Katsoyanopoulos too. Everything was textbook. And I still think there was a little part of home plate on the backside that was open too. 
um, if I'm being picky about it, but it gets ruled a, a run instead of an out. It, it's so hard. Like it's so hard to throw somebody out at home. Yeah. Like I, I don't think we should be making rules to make it harder. Again, talking from like teaching a defense standpoint, like you want to make sure that you're teaching them a way to properly execute the play and get an out while also abiding by the rule. And I think that's where sometimes it gets a little bit confusing defensively is, okay, where do I stand on here? But what if the throw's coming up the line here? Do I go and get the ball? Do I have to wait for the runner to get out of the way? And then as a runner, you know, when the catcher is running at you, like they, there's a lot of things happening really, really quick that you're trying to decide in real time. So, well, I mean, and and we just talked about how the thinking is part of the problem in this sport, and you just listed nine thoughts that you have to have in this one play <laughs> in, in yeah. a split second too. It's not like <laughs> it's like you have what yeah. are we doing? five minutes think, to decide all this. As a fielder, stuff. your reaction is to go get the ball. Like the, right, it's and for these catchers making it, and with Kiki's at least it was coming from center field for for Katsuyanopoulos. But think about the plays that are down the line, down the left field yeah. line or the right field line where you're especially left field where you're pretty much in line with the runner too. Um, so yeah, I, I just, that, that's my, yeah, I could, I could sit up here and talk about it for about an hour and a half and probably still not be done with it. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's, that's my biggest frustration. That is why we created get that ship out of here. Yeah, get, Last time out. you and Caleb bro came on, get it out, <laughs> throw it out, try again, get a new rule. Madison Shipman joining us here on the out of the box podcast, Maddie, we have something that we want to propose to you. We've gotten it from one side, but I want to hear it from yours. Next time you come on this podcast, we want to do a, a another joint double trouble situation. But instead of bro and ship, ship and ship, you and Allie, how do you feel? Oh, about that? yeah, of course. I would love that as long as there's no trivia involved, because we know I struggle with trivia. <laughs> so uh, as long as there's no trivia, I am totally down for that. The only so much fun. The only trivia will be how are we smoking this particular meat yes. is the only question we will have. Tell me, what is the recipe for sourdough bread? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I think we're being we're we're just doing some chicken tonight, so nothing nothing too crazy. I will still drive up right now. I trust y'all so much with any meal. <laughs> we did have burgers. Was it last night or the night before? I can't even remember. They were they were really good really good <laughs> oh man now i'm hungry yeah, madison chipman yeah, thank you that. so much for joining us always good to see you and we'll see you soon yeah of course sounds good so there's madison chipman tom just brilliant uh obviously we wish bro had been there but anytime we get a chance to talk with maddie always a phenomenal time yeah it was a great interview great discussion uh all the way around and uh really i wish she was a little bit more passionate about the obstruction rule it would be great <laughs> if she just you know, I mean, have a, a little bit more emotion and fire. Have an opinion, jeez. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Man, I hate when people just sit on the fence. <sighs> All right, speaking of sitting on the fence, that's basically how I felt from the hours of 8 a.m. to 11.30 today as I was charting bracketology. Oh no. It's a rough one, internally for me, but I'm ready to bare my soul to the world. Okay. That's next. When we come back, we'll round third. Bracketology, big games to watch, all that fun stuff next here on the Out of the Box Podcast. Welcome back to the Out of the Box Podcast. We're rounding third, Gray and Tom, and you know what? It's May. And when we're rounding third, you know exactly what we're about to do. It's bracketology time, Tom. Yes, the mayhem has begun. Yes, and let me tell you, this is as chaotic 
a bracketology as I've ever had to work on. And I'm going to explain why in just a moment. But first, because it is relevant to the interview you just heard, there is one major game happening tonight. It's Oklahoma-Tulsa as we record. Right now, top five, Oklahoma leads Tulsa 2-0. Golden Hurricane just did some really dumb things on the base paths. Which which I would not recommend against Oklahoma. Not at all. And in the last segment with Madison, Tom, what did you say about committing errors against OU? Don't. Yeah. Yeah. If you commit errors, might as well just walk off the field because the game's over. Well, Oklahoma in the third... Scored on an error by the shortstop. Grace Lyons reached on an error, and then Tiari Jennings came in to score. And then immediately after, Haley Lee, RBI single, Sydney Sanders scores. So two unearned runs for the Sooners. They're going to earn their runs anyway. Don't give them anything unearned, Tulsa. Right. What are we doing? Yeah, and that those that error happened with two outs, too. So, yeah, I have never seen a team... You know, because Oklahoma has two runs on two hits right now against Tulsa. Yeah. One for seven risks. Yes. I have never seen a team, though, that takes advantage of an opponent's mistakes better than this Oklahoma team does. It is it is unbelievable. Because when at the end at the end of the last segment, when you said, oh, Oklahoma's playing Tulsa, then we pulled up the score this during the break and pulled up score, and it was 2 nothing Oklahoma. And I said, oh, did they score on an error? And you said, yeah, they did. They did. <laughs> amazingly. And I think I think they do that better than last year's team did, which kind of hides some of the, I don't want to say deficiencies because they're right. really good, but I sure. think last year's OU team is much better than this year's. Definitely offensively they are. Yeah, and still, this Sooner team is able to crush people when they make any kinds of mistakes. Yeah. So the very first blueprint and bullet point for beating Oklahoma is play flawlessly. Right. Which is such a high bar to try sure. and meet. Yeah, because I think I think offensively last year's team is better than this year's. Yeah. I think, though, pitching, I think, is better this year than it was last year. Absolutely. Uh, and then, again, just they don't have the number of overall hits, and they don't have Jocelyn Allo on this team. They, they, they have a lot of people that can hit home runs for sure, but they don't have the greatest home run hitter of all time. But it's still – they get the hits when they got to have them and yep. they, they take advantage of every mistake that you make. It's really incredible. It, even, it's unbelievable. Even when you don't know that you're making a mistake, like the little thing yes. that we saw on the base pads just out, out there. I mean, yeah, don't overrun first. Just like, just, just take your base right. and be happy. You have it Ugh. and move on with your life. Right. Where will Oklahoma be in this bracketology? I have a good feeling what if they lost to Tulsa? Would it would it affect? Absolutely not. Okay. Nothing. No. Okay. At this point, here's the top sixteen, and then we can you know go over the supers matchups, and then I think discuss some of the RPI versus overall profile discrepancies that we see. Things have gotten a lot more muddled in the last seventy two hours. Good. I, I think that helps. You know, it helps Alabama. It helps teams. You know, like well, Alabama. I think so. I think it does. But also, right. I don't know where Alabama comes out at the end of the muddling as sure. well. Right. So it could be great. It could also be really bad. <laughs> great. Wonderful. Unclear. You're right. Here are the seeds I've got: one Oklahoma, two UCLA, three Florida State, four Oklahoma State, five Stanford, six Northwestern. Seven, Tennessee, eight, Texas, nine, LSU, 10, Arkansas, 
11, Alabama, 12, Duke, 13, Georgia, 14, Washington, 15, Oregon, and 16, Clemson. First four out, Louisiana, Auburn, Wichita State, and Florida. Tom, I've never seen you look at me the way you just looked at me as I was reading that list. Befuddled. Same. Yeah. Honestly, your Supers matchups would be 116 Oklahoma Clemson, 215 UCLA Oregon, 314 Florida State Washington, 413 Oklahoma State Georgia, 512 Stanford Duke, 611 Northwestern Alabama, 710 Tennessee Arkansas, Oh, just saw that. Uh-huh. Eight nine Texas LSU. All right, where do you want to start? Do you want to go with questions? Do you want me to read the tiers? How do you want to do this? Uh, yeah, go ahead and le- read the tiers. Okay, my super safe group is down to five: Oklahoma, UCLA, Florida State, Oklahoma State, and Stanford. Supers bubble because of where their RPI is. I am freaking out about Tennessee and where to put them. I don't know. I've got them on the supers bubble. If it were up to me, there would be no question. Right. They're a top eight seed. Yeah. But there are some metrics that concern me. Northwestern, Texas, LSU, Georgia, Duke, Alabama, Arkansas. I have them all on the Supers bubble all of a sudden. Because of how wonky uh-huh. everything is turned, I don't know what the committee is going to look at when deciding those last three spots. We can't trust the committee. Who can we put our trust in? I don't know. I've only got one team that I don't think can host a Super, but is safe to host a regional, and that's Washington. Okay. So, Heather Tarr, kick your feet up. You're, You're home, at least for one. That's right. Regionals, Bubble, Oregon, Clemson, Auburn, Louisiana, Wichita State, and Florida. Okay, Tom, where do you want to start at? Do we start with Tennessee? Well, I was going to say, look at six and seven. Okay. Northwestern at six. Mm-hmm. Northwestern, if I, don't, if I remember correctly, was 14 last week. That's right. And Tennessee... It's not like they lost to some scrub. Mm-hmm. They lost to Arkansas, who's a who's a host as well. They're a pretty good team. That's quite a drop for still likely the SEC regular season champion. So first off, when I do this, I go like the College Football Playoff Committee, which is complete reseed. I don't look at last week. I just go based off the information that I have. Okay. I'm seeing some parallels to a certain farcical selection show. Mm. That came in 2019. Do you remember it? That'd be too bad. Yes. So what was Alabama's biggest issue in the eyes of the committee that year, Tom? Why did the SEC champion by four games get rated the number eight overall seed? Non-conference strength of schedule. Exactly. Tennessee's non-conference strength of schedule presently sits at 125. Wow. That is a big, big big red flag and it's it's giving me heart palpitations when i try and rate this team now who came one spot ahead of alabama in 2019 that was the minnesota golden gophers out of the big 10 mm-hmm. what was the reason for them getting in that spot just ahead of alabama non-conference strength of schedule non-conference strength of schedule right. and overall strength of schedule yeah our biggest sticking point was they played the games but they didn't win very many of them correct but they seem to be rewarded for playing just for playing yes well northwestern sits at a sos of five a non-con sos of four they only have four top 25 wins they do have 20 top 50 wins so they've won a lot of the 26 to 50 games pretty right. much all of them in fact yeah. but they don't have a ton of the high-end wins Yet, 
they've played them. So hmm. seeing those parallels, I initially had Tennessee six, Northwestern seven, and I flipped them. Hmm. I'm curious to see how it shakes out at the very end to see when the actual seating comes out, what connections we truly can draw between 2019 and 2023, because they're for the most part, completely different committees. It seems like a different philosophy for the committee, right? But how many similarities actually come through once the bracket is presented? I am fascinated. Because it wasn't just Alabama people that were upset about how 2019 shook out. Yeah. Almost everybody was like, this is ridiculous. And I think, I think 90% of people, if they saw Tennessee at seven, on an official bracket, they would say, what, it, what yeah, are you ludicrous, talking about? Ludicrous. That everything yeah. that we have seen, everything that the quality wins say, everything that obviously the SEC standings, even though the committee doesn't care about that, and therefore neither do I say, mm-hmm. says that Tennessee is at worst maybe a four seed. But yeah. what does the committee care about? Oftentimes, it's that magic RPI and that magic strength of schedule. Yeah. That being said, sign me up right now for Alabama and a super against Northwestern 100%. I I will book the flight to Evanston today. I think that would be a really fun road trip for us. Oh uh, yeah. I I think we would really enjoy the area up in Illinois. SID extraordinaire, Nathan Sheehan's old stomping grounds. Yeah. Nate can, you know, lead the charge. Go get and, some deep dish pizza. Yeah. Oh, pizza. Yeah. For I know. Tom's hungry. Shocking. Wow. Uh, but yeah, I mean, and the the final final boss of Montana Fouts versus Danielle Williams get the final. Oh, the, the, the final revenge. One last hurrah <laughs> for the two right. freshmen of the year contenders. Right. Daniel Williams beating Montana Fouts. Can Tana get the last lap? Or will Daniel Williams prove mm. five years later ah. that she deserved the award? Yeah. Montana Fouts, not the National Freshman of the Year, speaking of farcical. <laughs> Crazy. Right. All right, anyway, any others you want to ask about? You talked about uh, last weekend that the biggest winner might have been Oregon, and Oregon mm-hmm. moving up to 15. Uh, what did the Ducks do to move them into that uh, regional hosting spot? Well, when you're on the bottom... A big part of it is just not losing. And right. Oregon swept a road series at Cal, which is what you want to do. They've got a bunch of actually very similar to Alabama's profile, a bunch of spotty wins here and there. They're winning games and series, but maybe not necessarily winning a ton of series. You got to win over UCLA, win over Stanford, win over Northwestern, who saw a big rise, a win over a Washington team that they're kind of around in the RPI. They've got a ton of top 50 wins, 17, which is eight more than Clemson, two more than Auburn, a bunch more than Wichita State and Central Arkansas, and a bunch more than Florida as well. I just think that everything that happened around Oregon to go with their sweep of a good team at Cal was enough to almost, almost put them in the regional safe spot. If there were better metrics for them... In terms of strength of schedule, guy, I hate talking about it, but here we go yeah. again. 85 non-con SOS, 31 overall SOS. That's not strong enough to me to make them feel safe yet. But they've done the work, and it helps that other teams around them are losing. And we move down one more to 16. How did Clemson hang on to that regional hosting spot considering what happened against Virginia Tech? 
a little bit of it is benefit of a doubt overall record the Valerie Cagle factor, and honestly, the fact that as bad as the schedule is and as few quality wins as they have, they still have more than Louisiana. Four top 25 wins, Cajuns just have two. Two top 10 wins, Cajuns just have one. SOS is going to be potentially what keeps Clemson out, and honestly, I think that the gap is very narrow. I didn't see enough on the sheet that told me it was time for Louisiana to jump Clemson. Louisiana is seeing this all play out perfectly because their RPI keeps somehow staying really strong. Yeah. And everybody who is a contender to slide in as a regionals host keeps losing. So I think if Clemson gets out quickly in the ACC tournament, Louisiana will swoop in barring maybe a run by Auburn in the SEC tournament. Yeah. And I think after what happened last year with UCF hosting a regional, I think the committee will probably be looking for a way to give a non-Power 5 team a host. I think that there's got to be no other option. No other option. It's got to be Louisiana. I think that, to me, is the only way I see the Cajuns in because nobody else has stepped up to the plate. Not, not, you don't think Wichita will have an opportunity? I know you have <sighs> them at, you know, they're on your first four out i mean two top 10 wins three top 25 wins eight top 50 those are all better than say a central arkansas right but they're not getting a whole lot of help from everybody else in the ac no and somebody on the d1 podcast asked us how important it was that their game against oklahoma wasn't played at all and i think it was very important yeah that that would have helped the strength of schedule numbers non-con sos at 27 overall sos at a nice but not good 69 and all you've got left on the schedule is a game tomorrow as we record at Kansas who's 56 in the RPI and then you get into the postseason so I just I, I think that if it were down to those two I think Louisiana would get the bump I would be interested to see what the committee broke it down to between those two because Wichita State's Got the higher tier wins. Louisiana's got the better overall profile. And this is not uh, of the regional host, but just a general question about the the tournament as a whole. Do you think the SEC gets all thirteen teams in now with the way that Mississippi State got the sweep over Kentucky? And I, you know, you know, Mississippi State was probably the team I was thinking going into last weekend wouldn't make the tournament out of the conference, but now I think Mississippi State might even be safe to me be a three seed. I think you'll see 12. I think either Missouri or Mississippi State is not getting in. And I don't love it because I don't know who it will be. I think we have highlighted the deficiencies for both profiles well. You look at Missouri, quality wins are solid, 5 and 17 against the top 25. They've got seven top 50 wins. They've got 18 top 100 wins. Strength of schedule at 43, non-con SOS at 109. Major sticking point. Mississippi State, better in the other metrics, 26 SOS, 80 non-con SOS. Thankful, I'm sure, Samantha Ricketts is, that Kentucky is an unhealthy squad with a very healthy RPI. Right. Because the Bulldogs got their first three top 25 RPI wins of the year. They've got nine top 50. They've got 13 top 100, but more bad losses than Missouri does. I, I'm i just not sure that I see a world where both get in. 
considering the way the bubble is right now. I mean, you've got Texas State who's making an argument. McNeese has some good wins. Potentially, we'll see if they can get back into the conversation. Ohio State, Arizona and Arizona State are going to continue to be figures that loom. If the Sun Devils can get back above 500, they will be lingering there. You've got some Big Ten teams that could be in the conversation like a Maryland, a Penn State maybe, a Michigan who is slowly falling more and more towards the bubble. The way it all shakes out, I'm not sure both get in. I think you would give the edge is it to Missouri. To Missouri. Yeah. It may come down to who wins that playing game if it, they, could. If, if it happens. It could, which would be fascinating. Like this is, I would love for the committee to go in and say, winner is in the NCAA tournament. Right. And then just. you just toss down the, the broken pool cue like the Joker. <laughs> Put away all the pencils. Aggressive expansion. That's... Oh boy, mm. that would be actually really entertaining. Not a fight to the death, but a winners in the NCAA tournament scenario. Right. And I hope I hope that that game does matter because I don't want to see a world where the loser is the one that gets in and the winner somehow is out. That would be really annoying. Right. Yeah. So hated it, loved it. Bracketology, bada bing, bada boom. Northwestern somehow seven spots. I look. I don't know. Did, I just do it. Did they beat both Oklahoma and UCLA this past weekend? No, they didn't, but that would have been nice. <laughs> Big games coming up this week. Nearing the end of the you know important midweek slate, although there are a few of note on Wednesday, Wichita State, Kansas, we've mentioned. Virginia Tech at Liberty. Hmm. Liberty, Liberty. Just going to be tight. Going to be a fun game. The big one, of course, is Florida State at Florida. Florida probably their last big chance to make a statement to host a regional because you will note that as i read that florida was 20th yeah on the sheet and that was a late switch of florida and central arkansas if they want to have any any chance staying at home for the first weekend of the ncaa tournament they have to win this game and even then make a statement on the weekend yeah and and it's their home finale too yeah so yeah Friday, Saturday, Sunday. What are we watching, Tom? Mm. We'll start with Friday. You got Michigan at Minnesota. Yes. Uh, those two teams. Fi- at Michigan, if they can say over 500, I think they'll make the tournament. But they could easily not. <laughs> and and uh, what will happen against a Minnesota team is also fighting to get in the NCAA tournament. Two big matchups in a much deeper back, uh, much deeper Big Ten than we thought it was going to be. Yeah. Minnesota, I think, is fairly safe. In fact, I think we could do a segment on scary two seeds. I think Minnesota is one of those teams. If you saw them in your regional, you'd start to feel mm. a little uneasy. They're playing really well. Michigan, 24 and 21 overall. That is unexpected. But they played the schedule to where if they say over 500, they're in. Correct. I'm going to highlight Louisville at Florida State. Did you know, Tom, this is a battle between one and two in the ACC? Wow. Yes. I did not know that. Well, it is the Cardinal in the D1 softball top 25. I'm not sure if anybody else has followed suit. Get on board, everybody. This is a good Louisville team. Taylor Roby tied for the nation's lead in 21 home runs versus a Florida State team that has been playing as well as anybody in the country in the last couple weeks. Something's got to give. Is Louisville ready for the stage? If they are, I will add Louisville to my two seed you don't want to see list. Okay. I, well, Bedlam. Uh, ESPN. Yeah. It's going to be 
It's the featured. It's what we thought was going to be a really good series. It still could be, uh, but Oklahoma yeah. State has certainly uh, fallen down a little bit here in the last couple of weeks. They are playing Oklahoma at literally the worst time. <laughs> so uh, Just trying to get our footing back. I'm sure the next yeah. opponent, oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah. Uh, it's them. Mm. I hope so, people watch. I, I hope it gets right. good ratings. I hope it's fun. Yes. Everybody has a great time. Not, not, I doubt it'll go well for the Cowgirls. Washington at Stanford. Can Washington get into that mass of teams that are maybe in the mix to to be a supers host, to be a top eight seed? I don't know. But great chance at Stanford, who kind of needs to make a bit of a statement as well. I've still got them as a super safe squad because the RPI loves them because of how good their strength of schedule is. Yeah. But they're missing some of the high-quality wins. They sweep everybody on the bottom half of the Pac-12. But they've struggled a bit against the Oregons, against the UCLA's, against those, against Utah, against the upper half. So how do they respond against Washington in Palo Alto this weekend? Yeah, and then the other one for my Sunday, I'll take a look at Utah at Oregon um, out in the pack because you know Utah had the real outside chance had they swept UCLA last weekend to uh, to go halvesies on the Pac-12 championship. Obviously, didn't happen. Uh, but they're still a really good team, and we'll try to knock Oregon out. Good use of halvesies. Thank, thank you very much. Very nice. Uh, because we needed six, I put Baylor at Texas on this list. Baylor coming off of the series loss to Iowa State. Yeah. I mean, this is more intrigue for Texas. They didn't play at all last week. How do they keep building after the win over Oklahoma State in sweep fashion? Hmm. Also, do they want to solidify their top eight spot. We'll see. I mean, at this point, I don't think I'll be using the word solidified to describe many of those teams that I had on the Supers bubble list for a bit now. But the thing Texas is missing is quality wins. And if they can sweep another team, another good team, another team inside the top 25 of the RPI, then they're going to get much closer to that. Gotcha. Yep. All right, there we go. Shall we head home? Let's do it. When we come back, we got picks, we got off the wall, all the fun stuff. That's next on the Out of Box Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperice.com. We're heading home as the May sun sets here. Gray and Tom hanging out in the studio. Tom, how are you? Good. Scampering at home as though a throw has been, has sailed over the first baseman's head into the right field corner. Yeah, so now we have yes. finally made it around. <laughs> Indeed, yes. It took some time. It takes a minute, but yes. But we're there. Mm-hmm. We've got picks coming up. We've got off the wall. I took some risks last week, Tom, Yeah, and I was very, very close, but close does not count at all in picks, and that is why you currently have a 24-17 to 17 lead. Ooh, I also got five right. That was, week. it was very impressive. That, is, is that the most we've had this week, this year? This year, yes. Week? Last year, there was one week where I think we went six and five, which was as crazy <laughs> a weekend of correctness yes. we've ever had. You got Bama, two out of three. Florida, two out of three. Auburn, two out of three. A&M, two out of three. Arkansas, two out of three. I got Bama, two out of three. Auburn, two out of three. 
Yeah, good for you. And just one note as well. Last week we said, oh, you maybe we need to pick more sweeps. No. No sweeps listed right none, there. None. We picked a couple sweeps. None of them happened. Nope. Did not pan out at all. So I, I trail by seven, wow. basically. But I haven't been run ruled. <laughs> You're still involved. We've got that 7 0 situation in the six. Mm, with Kentucky Derby also on the list. Yes. So. On the sheet, we've got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 picks available. Ooh. This is either going to be the Montana Fouts of Good Bull, of Hawaii, of Comebacks, or after Saturday, I'm going to throw my laptop in the river. <laughs> either way. Either way. You're going to be going first. Okay. Because you won the week 5-2. to two. I did. We begin... With the series that could decide your SEC champion, South Carolina at Tennessee. Well, you know, I have the lead. You do. So I can take a few more chances. Sure. So Tennessee actually was rooting for them last weekend. That doesn't happen very often. It's like, well, Tennessee's pretty much all but clinched. Give Arkansas some losses so Alabama can jump ahead of them in the top four in the conference. So what do they do? They turn around and lose two to the Razorbacks. So now... If they were to be swept by South Carolina and Georgia get a couple wins, Georgia could swoop in and take the SEC championship from Tennessee. This is me just wanting it to happen. <laughs> I'm going to take South Carolina 3-0. Doing it for Joey Gamecock. Here's the problem. That is insane. <laughs> but I've got three other options that I can pick. Sure. And the one I might select could still be wrong, and we could just both miss this series. Which is, yep. Which is the worst part about this game. Why didn't I just make it to where we picked the teams? You, I don't know. You, you Five years it. ago, we crafted this plan, and mm. it has sucked since. <laughs> Season six, revamp. <laughs> I'm going to take Tennessee 2-1. Game three, maybe we see a, I don't want to say less enthused, but... You know, maybe Peyton Gotchel and no immediate relief. Maybe Charlie Orsini is the second option. Yeah. yeah we won't see Ashley Rodgers, I think, more than no, once right. this weekend. So I think the Gamecocks are able to get a win depending on when they use Donnie Goborn. Also, though, we have to keep in mind, Tennessee not only playing for the SEC championship, but also to fight back with a lot of the bracketing things that we detailed yeah. earlier. There's a lot that could go wrong if what you just detailed What if that happens? happens? Are they a top eight seed? I don't know. Because mm. South Carolina right now, I believe, is 37 as we record let's, in the let's, RPI. Let's see what happens. I'm all for the chaos. I'm chaos thinking, and mayhem. <laughs> wow. We are going full Joker tonight, aren't we? <laughs> are you walking away from the hospital and blowing it up, or am I? <laughs> I don't want to wear the skirt. As so. we drink liquid death? <laughs> What is happening? <laughs> oh my gosh. Do you want to know how I got these scars? Mm. I bet I can tell you where Rachel Lawson got hers. I was probably mm. watching this pitching staff this year. Florida at Kentucky is our next series. Can you trust Florida? Can you trust Kentucky? Can you trust anybody involved here? These are the two maybe least trustworthy teams in the entire conference right now playing each other to wrap things up in Lexington. I just I think Florida's playing better than Kentucky right now, uh, but I can't trust Florida to get a sweep, so I'm going to say Florida 2-1. I'm down seven, so I've got to pick my moves very carefully. Mm. Well, the way that I look at this is 
I keep thinking Kentucky's going to figure it out and going to look like the Kentucky that we thought they were. I got to see it at some yeah. point. What, and what evidence do you have? Of I that? have none. Yeah. And I have so much historical evidence that Florida will find a way at some point at the end. I think Florida is going to win this series 2-1. But I can't, I cannot trust that pitching staff no. to, to sweep, which is crazy because Kentucky just got swept by Mississippi State. Right. Who's next on our sheet? Mississippi are. State at Auburn. What you got, Tom? We need Auburn to have a couple losses. So, because Auburn does have the tiebreaker over the Crimson Tide for Alabama to be able to jump over them and get that top four seed. Mississippi State is coming off of a sweep. They are. They so, either sweep or get swept. Right. I don't see them being able to sweep Auburn, but I don't think Auburn's going to sweep them. I think we're, we're going to stop the sweep or swept situation for Mississippi State. But I think the Bulldogs go down on the plains and they take the series 2-1. Maddie Penn is going to throw twice because Mickey Dean wants her to get pitcher of the year. Sure. Mississippi State's not going to hit her either time. The question is that middle game. Who does Auburn throw? Who does Mississippi State throw? We just watched Auburn get no hit and crushed in that second game against South Carolina. Mm-hmm. But Mississippi State either sweeps or gets swept. That, that is true. I'm taking Auburn 3-0. Arkansas and Missouri. Could this be the sweep? Sweep, swept, swapped? Mm. Who's to say? Who's to say? I mean, if you're Arkansas, you've got to be feeling just over the moon. On top of the world. Yeah. And you're going to Missouri. Who could feel the exact opposite right now. Feels the exact opposite and hasn't played their best at home. Actually, in the conference, they've played better, I think, on the road, looking at them uh, historically this year. I don't think Missouri will will get swept at home. I think Arkansas wins 2-1. I think you get one really good outing from Krings that kind of keeps Arkansas at bay, keeps them in the ballpark a little bit. Uh, but I could see Arkansas winning, if not one, maybe both their wins by run rule. I've got Arkansas 2-1 as well. Um, so we're running out of series that I can pick differently from you. <laughs> I, this is going to be all about Missouri's motivation. They're good enough to win this series. They're certainly good enough to win a game. If Arkansas sweeps, that's going to tell me all I need to know yeah. about the Tigers and where they are mentally right now. Well, and then what we just talked about, you know, Missouri needs some wins to, you know, they're on the bubble for right. the big tournament. Yeah. So they might have as much, if not a little bit more even, than Arkansas to play for. Georgia at LSU. Speaking of stuff to play for, Ooh. Georgia trying to catch Tennessee. Both of these teams trying to make a statement, make a case to be a top eight national seed. Yeah. It's in Baton Rouge. Bargeron. Bargeron. Maybe playing in the games at some point. Georgia did not have any games last weekend ahead of this, so they will be rested and ready to go to take on the Tigers. What you got, Tom? Well, to go along with Tennessee being swept by South Carolina for them to lose the championship, that means Georgia has to win. Again, this is just my anti-Tennessee pick. I'm going to say Georgia sweeps LSU. Ooh, thank you for picking a sweep because I'm taking Georgia 2-1. That was what I wanted to take. If you had taken Georgia 2-1, I would have had to (laughs) adjust. Right. Buttress. Yes. I, I like the dogs to win this series. I think Georgia... Honestly, if I were seeding right now, I think that they would be at the front of that top eight bubble pack. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that they're that good. And I saw some concerning things from LSU this weekend. The fact that as good as Montana's pitching, they couldn't generate anything in 14 innings against the same person. Shelby Walters is not Montana Fouts, but she is pitching 
pretty darn well, yeah. especially of late. I think Georgia's going to win this series 2-1. Okay. Outside the SEC, Washington at Stanford. Again, so much at stake. Who you got? I think this should, this game just comes down to I think Stanford's a little bit better than Washington, so I'm going to go Stanford 2-1. They got a little bit, uh, you know. I hate losing. I'm down. This is such a big margin. I'm going to take Washington 2-1 because Good. I don't have any other choice. Like, Good I call. have to. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I have nothing else on the table. You could bet Sanford to sweep. I guess that is on the table, but Bailey Klinger's yeah. not going to let them get swept. Mm-hmm. And Vodder has been hit a little bit. She was hit a little bit in that Arizona State series last weekend. So I'm going to take UW 2-1. I like that option better than a Stanford sweep. Okay. Louisville at Florida State. I know Louisville has entered the top 25 chat. Yes. They are. The bubble know. is right. there. They're typing. Sure. Yeah, they're in. Whether it's blue or green, that's up to you. But there would be no bubble if it was green. You just get text. Oh, oh okay. I don't know how that works. Um, but Florida State somewhere Nathan Sheehan is laughing. <laughs> right. There's like five people in a group chat that are laughing. Anthony Sinello, right. where are you yes. at? I mean, Florida State in these type of situations, they have done a good job, not just this year, but historically, of kind of announcing their presence and kind of establishing themselves. I think they're close games. But I think Florida State sweeps Louisville. All right, I'll take Florida State 2-1. Taylor Roby will get them a game because she has to so that I can come back in picks. <laughs> yeah, i probably like Florida State to sweep, but i got to pick something different. I don't like Louisville to win this series, no. but I think the Cardinals can play well enough to get a game. If this was at Louisville, I might have a different opinion, but being in Tallahassee next to the circus, look out. Yeah. Watch that trapeze. Mm. Speaking of the trap part of trapeze, mm. man, I'm killing it tonight. Let's look at our old friends, the Lehigh Mountain Hawks. Oh, yes. Taking on Boston U in Bethlehem, the campus of Lehigh. Yes. The two teams, the Terriers and Mountain Hawks, enter 15-0 and in Patriot League play. Wow. This will decide the regular season champion will it be the team that crushed dreams in alabama's home opener this year the opener for the season or will it be a boston u squad who has picked up some good wins at times this year they've beaten baylor they've beaten fullerton they've beaten penn state twice they've beaten san diego state you know, they've beaten some teams. Yeah. Who do you trust? Who are you picking, Tom, for the most patriotic series we've ever selected? I hope the Mountain Hawks Ray will do it for nothing else than for the nice lady who gave us a ride in Clearwater. Wow, I don't think we ever told that story, did we? I don't think so. My Some of my least favorite parts of Clearwater are the uh, hikes that you have to take from the uh, parking lot to our scaffolding uh, to, to be able to broadcast games. Uh, so we're, you know, carrying all the equipment, walking down the road, and a woman pulls up to us and asks, do you want to ride into the stadium? We're like, awesome, yes, thank you. So Jason, And we find out that she is a graduate of Lehigh and ended the conversation by saying, thanks for playing us. <laughs> really nice <laughs> yeah, lady. Was was awesome. Uh, so I hope Lehigh does it for no other reason than that. Uh, I'm going to say the Mountain Hawks win it 2-1. You don't just stroll into Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, and come away with a series win 
against the Mountain Hawks. There's so many ways I could take that segue, but I instead will just bark like young Finley Traxel <laughs> and take the Terriers of Boston U out of, again, necessity. Right. This is a good Boston U pitching staff. If you haven't checked out some of the numbers, I highly recommend you do that. But I got to be different. I'm taking Boston U to win the series 2-1. Oklahoma at Oklahoma State. Oklahoma sleeps. That was easy. Yes. If you'd asked me this a month ago, I'd say, well, maybe Oklahoma State, well, maybe could get one. Yeah, my rule is you pick Oklahoma to sweep, and then you apologize if you're wrong. Yep. But. Your rule is also not to be down seven. You know what? No. If I lose, I lose. It's okay. fine. All I'm right. going to take Oklahoma to sweep. At some point, journalistic integrity has to mean something. So I'm taking Since OU to sweep. Cowgirls, <laughs> LOL. We'll see. Yeah. Maybe. The final softball pick that we will make is Alabama and Ole Miss. Well, again, as I'm picking for the best possible scenario for Alabama, I'm going to say Alabama gets the sweep over Ole Miss. Earlier on in the conference slate, we got to the point where we just couldn't trust Alabama to get a sweep. You know, you've proven you've done it. There's proof of concept with the sweep against Mississippi State. And I think Mississippi doesn't have the lineup from top to bottom that can take advantage of Alabama in the non-Montana game mm-hmm. of that, say, an LSU does, or some of the other teams that have, have beaten Alabama this year. So I am going to say Alabama is going to be it, – it's going to be uh, nip and tuck squeaker in that non-Montana game, but I would be a little bit surprised if Ole Miss would be able to do much against the People's Queen in those other two games. Um, so I'm going to go with the tide with the sweep. I just want to say I think Alabama will sweep as well. But my official pick is Alabama 2-1. Understood. It has to be done. Yep. Business decision. I think Alabama will sweep, but sure, I'm trying to do the impossible because I could tie us. Things would have to go extremely well, <laughs> but I could tie us, and then it could come down to, I don't know, we'll come up with something. Right. But either way, officially on the paper, Alabama 2-1. Internally, I think you're right. The Kentucky Derby. Yes. We are looking at the odds. We've got them in post order. Again, I have no idea who any of these people are. Who well, they're... and might I say, there is some precedent to our Derby picks. A couple years ago. One of us nailed it. I, I got it right, and then the horse was found for cheating. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so we were in Athens. I was very excited. All the parents were around us, me and Jayla Torrance's dad. Yeah. We were sitting there. We're like, oh, I got it. And then the horse was doping. Right. Because you don't bet against Bob Baffert, but no. I think he's banned. Right. So, so I'm going to go with the horse in the 14 spot, plus 800 odds. We'll go with Angel of Empire. I'm taking the horse in the five position. Tap it, Trice. <laughs> wow. Because I really wanted to say tap it, Trice, but also according to this website that we pulled up to show the post. Just which one came up first on the Google? The five position has produced 10 Kentucky Derby winners, the most of any gate in the history of the event. Hmm. So I am taking tap it, Trice. I got five on it. The five position will win the Kentucky Derby. It's got the juice. Swag, the whole thing. Going for 40. Yes. Or the two and a half miles. Or and long other metrics. <laughs> Don't ask me to do math. <laughs> All right. Those are the picks. 
If I do somehow pull this off, it'll be very impressive. It will be very impressive. I will go buy myself a cookie cake. Okay, it's time, of course, to close the show. Mm. Asking why, why do certain people do certain things? Play the drop. It's time for Off the Wall. Stop complaining when we win. You know, differentiating between facts and opinions, people. I've seen enough to know that I've seen too much. The conspiracy heard round the Facebook. Get your tinfoil hats out. Let people enjoy things. First off, red pen, please. Please. I can't believe we're talking about it. It's so asinine. It's like I, I, I had a thesaurus out looking up ways to describe dumbassery. Don't send novels to the coaching staff. Farcical. Absolutely ridiculous. Here we go, Tom. You're up first. Who done messed up this week? Mm. Well, as I've maybe, uh, previously mentioned here in the podcast, stop complaining when we win. Just, I don't understand. Why is that fun for people? I, that would be the opposite of fun. Like, enjoy it when you win the game. You, you beat LSU, which, as we talked about in the broadcast, historically, like, Alabama's biggest rival yeah. in the conference. It's the one team... In the SEC that Alabama does not have a winning overall record against. Right. Now, there's so much history between the Tide and the Tigers. Um, there's no reason to be at all upset when Alabama wins the game. So there's that. This has kind of been an overall theme a lot of the year. Why, when Montana Fouts wins a game, when she's pitching and she's the winner of the game, why is it ingrained that people have to comment with, she can't pitch every game? Like, we're complaining about games that haven't happened yet instead of celebrating the game that she did just pitch and won or start topping, talking about the hypothetical situation of next year without Montana fouts. Imagine if Montana hadn't come back this year. I saw a lot of those on Sunday. Yeah, there's a lot of teams that have a fifth year coming back this year that would be a whole lot different. Imagine if Megan Foramo had not come back for UCLA. Right. Imagine if Kayla Kowalik had not right. come back for Kentucky. I mean, my gosh. I don't understand that mindset of we got to now try to knock down any people, anyone that is happy about Alabama winning the game with, well, she won't be here next year. Well, we don't know who's going to be here next year. We have no idea. No one has any no. clue. <laughs> More than ever, we have no idea what's happening next year. We don't know who's going to be on the team from this year, who's going to be you know, coming in from other teams. You know, It's as important of... You know, the freshman class coming in is who comes out of the portal. We have no idea who's going to be in the portal. Next year is a complete, it's a complete question mark. I have yep. no clue. Why even bring it up? Just enjoy while Montana Fouts is here pitching. Absolutely. Just enjoy, enjoy whatever game she wins. Yeah, we aren't even in hashtag portal season. No. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Once we get to OKC, that's when all the names start coming out from all across the country and we can start seeing, yeah. okay, who who are viable options Alabama can go after? Who are the big fish that the Tide needs to put their hat in the ring for, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. We're not even, you know, we're a month away from We're that. not even there. So I, I don't understand the, the constant focus on the worry when good things happen. If I did that, then Sunday would have been so miserable. Yeah. But you know what we did, Tom, is we had a great post game, and then we high-fived, and then we had some laughs, and we went down and we chatted with the coaches and the players, right. had a great time with everybody because we were happy 
about the moment. Yeah. And we're not concerned about a year down the road or beyond. We're concerned about what's happening right now. If we've learned anything in the last two or three years, mm-hmm. be happy with any game that's played that you win and, and just enjoy it. Yep. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Yep. We're not that far removed. Right. From all being over at Rhodes for a little teary goodbye when the season was canceled. And that's and that's one of the points actually made you know made in the postgame, um, I think it was Sunday, was you know, the seniors, because we were talking about the senior class, these seniors have gone through probably the toughest time ever to be a collegiate athlete because they went through a time not only in 2020 when the season was canceled. But 2021, when everything was truly day-to-day, the game you're preparing for could be canceled at any moment. You could be, one, you could be feeling 100% uh, the best you've ever felt and get a positive test and you're out for two weeks. Right. That these, these seniors went through that. Appreciate. And then you have Montana Fouts, who is going to be one of, if not the most decorated player in Alabama softball history, you got an extra year of her. Enjoy it. Don't mm-hmm. wring your hands about tomorrow. Uh, I'm good for right now. Okay, here we go. I'm sure I'll have thoughts about yours. I saw a lot of these. Uh, a lot of Karens popped up, literal and figurative. <laughs> Why is Giles in center field? This is a huge series. Why change things up? Angry face emoji. I, I don't understand, folks. You can't have it both ways i've seen we've had a lot of examples this year of people trying to have their cake and eat it too yeah you can't complain about the offense sucking and then complain about changes to the lineup it doesn't make any sense no we want the same people just to to do better and then well we're trying to be like they can't hit makes a move why did they do that no they're doing it to try and get the hits and the runs. Why? Yes. Because of the same things you probably have complained about in other posts. That's why Martley Giles has moved to center field. That's why we've seen a bit of a revolving door at certain positions. The only like true, true injury move that has caused something in the lineup was when Prangy was out. And then this past weekend, Bailey Dowling did not take as many reps at second base, so Callie Hevlin was back in. Right. And that's what Patrick Murphy told us in the pregame interview. And and Callie Hevlin made... Was incredible. Yeah. So other than that, every other move is for offensive production. Right. That's that's the answer. If you ask a question like, why, why is Giles in center field? And, you know, we on the radio, and I'm sure... Uh, Beth and Michelle mentioned it in in, in the uh, in the national network broadcast. I know you mentioned it uh, with Kate on on Friday. Yeah, that's the answer. Accept it. But to take it as a personal affront, <laughs> right, yeah. like so upset. How dare Patrick Murphy, as the head coach, put out a different lineup? How dare he? Crazy. Yes. Okay, we've got some more. This one is interesting. I got a lot of things I can nitpick in here, and I want to preface it by saying I know the ESPN app has had some issues this year, Uh, Alabama in particular. Auburn weekend, I think pretty much the whole area had some some issues because a cord was cut in Birmingham, and that affected A-Day, and that affected softball, and there was nothing anybody in Tuscaloosa could do about it. Right. That being said, there are some outlandish statements made here. 
Congratulations. Wish I could have watched, though I tried. Good use of a comma there, by the way. Yes. ESPN is not making it easy. From giving out incorrect channel info to unannounced changes in programming, except when due to weather, to requiring $9.99 a month in addition to the sports fees we already pay for the Plus channel to having technical difficulties. Okay, might have one too many commas in there, maybe. I'm in Atlanta area. I just want to watch my team play softball. Roll Tide. All right, so we can take this one by one. Incorrect channel info. I don't think that has ever happened. I don't know what the app is doing, but Alabama is presenting accurately every single darn time what channel these games are on. And also, knowing how the app works... It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You just click it. Yeah, and whether, uh, unless for some reason it is being shown through the Longhorn Network stream and you don't have that as part of your package, mm-hmm. you should be able to watch anything on ESPN, you know, SEC Network Plus, regular SEC Network, ACC Network Extra, all that stuff. Yeah. Through your normal cable provider. Exactly. Next, unannounced changes in programming. So I'm assuming that means time. All the time changes are announced. Typically multiple weeks before the games are played. Yeah. If the 4,000 people that were at the Rhodes house knew about the new time, I'm sure it was the changes were announced properly to everyone. Yeah. To requiring $9.99 a month in addition to the fees that we already play for the pay for the Plus channel, I don't know who you're paying. You're, yeah. You have been scammed if you're paying nine ninety nine right. a month in addition to paying for the plus. Did, did you did you click one of those scam comments on that that come up in some of those uh, Facebook posts? That's the only reason you would be paying extra money, because again, if you have it on, if you have the SEC network on your cable, you have the SEC network plus. Right. One hundred percent. And and I think the biggest thing that really frustrates me, somebody replied here and said. So do we. I never know what channel they're playing on. It's on every post. Every post. RollTide.com had these published when the TV schedule came out very, very early. I got my Plus TV schedule a week before the season. We all knew when these games were taking place. And if there was a change, that was told to the public. And I'm growing more and more annoyed by people who seem to be blaming ESPN and blaming Alabama for what is quite clearly user error. Yeah. You are just not reading. You are not necessarily understanding how the television side, how the plus side, how the app works, how cable provider information works. And you're blaming all of us for it. And like, we know how it works because we work in it and we live it. We've studied it, things like that. I'm not saying you have to know all that stuff. Right. But when you comment on a post that literally has game time and channel information on it and saying, I don't know what channel it's on, mm-hmm. it's on the post you're commenting on. Yep. Or it's also available on that entire thing called the internet that you are currently commenting on. Google exists. Right. So if if finding the schedule page for a roll on for Alabama softball on rolltide.com is too complicated for you, just Google it. Mm-hmm. It will pop up. Sometimes it's you. Right. Sometimes it's you. And again, accept the answer when it's given to you. Yes. Don't complain about things that are no longer an issue once you're given the answer. All right, one more. This is just me nitpicking. This team is awful. Too many errors and can't hit. We'll be one and done in regional play. It's a double elimination tournament. Literally never been one and done. Never been done. And I got to say, if Alabama finds a way to go one and done 
and be the only team ever in the history of a double elimination tournament to do so, I'm going to stand up and applaud. Yes. That would be impressive. This would be a history-making team right? if they go one and done in yeah. the regionals. Pod plan this week. We will do something next week prior to the SEC tournament. Uh, I'm going to be honest. Big part of it depends on when Alabama's playing, which in turn determines our departure time, which in turn will determine our posting time for the pod. Exactly. So stay tuned. Hopefully we'll have something for you on Sunday night. There you go. Yes. Until then, Tom, we're off to Oxford, and the people can tune into us for three whole games on the radio. How can the people find it? You can listen to our broadcast from the world's smallest press box. Yes, you can uh, listen to all that fun stuff on uh, uh, if you're listening over the air in Tuscaloosa on 97.5 FM, nick975.com online, the 97.5 MeTV app, and also Varsity app will get you any and all of the broadcasts. It'll be a fun broadcast. It'll be great. Yes, as long as they have Ethernet, I don't care. Right. We'll yeah, be that's, happy. That's the most important thing. Yeah, as long as we can be on the air. Yes. And we're very excited to do that this weekend. Of course, Tom will be tweeting all the usual links out at outofbox underscore pod and at your account. T Canterbury RTR. And at mine, Gray G R A Y underscore Robertson. Whew, May is here. SEC tournament's almost here. We got one more series, and then we get to that point in the season where it is win or a very very sad alternative yeah as much as we look forward to the postseason that always means that uh if things don't go well that could be the end of the year so hopefully uh tide has a, a run in them and I, I certainly think they have the capability to do so thank you to our guest madison shipman for joining us caleb bro we miss you and we'll have you back on the show very very soon thank you to everybody for tuning in buckle up it's that time for my partner, Tom Canterbury, I'm Dre Robertson. Thank you for listening to the Out of the Box Podcast. We'll see you next time.